The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this broadcast or podcast without the express written consent of Spaced Out Radio, Spaced Out Weekend, or Spaced Out Radio Limited is strictly prohibited. Listener discretion is advised. Hi there, this is Dave Scott, and I would like to invite you to listen Monday through Friday right here on Spaced Out Radio. Three hours a night of the top stories with the top guests, ranging topics from UFOs to ETs, ghosts to Sasquatch, and everything in between. We are live every night, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern. So come on in and take a listen at spacedoutradio.com. Spaced Out Radio will take you out of this world. Good evening, and welcome to Spaced Out Weekend on SpacedOutRadio.com. This is Elizabeth Anglin, your host of Cosmic Passport, coming to you from Uncle Jimbo's cabin, a magical cabin where magical things happen, some of whom, some of those things we just can't talk about. But tonight we're going to do some magic here, and Uncle Jimbo, or James Tyson, as I like to refer to him, is going to help us out by running the boards as we take calls for animal communication. Before we get to that, I want to welcome all of our 
stations that you may be and groups you may be listening to Spaced Out Radio through and Spaced Out Weekend through. Um, they may not be here yet, but very soon we will be live on WQEE FM 99 Rock Rock broadcasting out of Greater Atlanta. And right now, we also welcome and give thanks to listeners tuning in through Renegade Talk Radio in Las Vegas, UPRN 107.7 in New Orleans, Wolf Spirit Radio, Forest Moon Paranormal, the High Plains Radio Network, as well as others listening, listeners coming to us from TuneIn and iTunes. Please join us on chat if this is your first night tuning in, or even if it's not, and you can find a chat room at spacedoutradio.com, or if you become a Spaced Out Radio Space Traveler, by donating just $5 a month, you can join the SR. SOR Space Travelers chat room on Facebook, as well as receive other cool stuff, like free books, swag, private interviews, a newsletter, and the archives of all the spacedoutradio.com shows and more. My goodness, I'm having a hard time communicating or talking, like blah, blah, blah. But we are going to do some animal communication tonight and talk about animal communication tonight. About 20 minutes in, I will be taking calls if you want to call in and, and have me connect with one of your animals um, for a short, brief message or communication with them. Please feel free to do that. James, where can people call in? Hi, oh. it's me. Uh, they can Hi. give us a shout via... Um, that thing they use, you know, the um, Skype. Skype, sorry. I, <laughs> she caught me. I was in the shower. The, um, I, they can use Skype, and they can get a hold of us at James underscore Tyson 32. Again, that's James underscore Tyson. Oh, sorry. Okay, <laughs> lost a little power there. James underscore Tyson 32 via Skype anywhere on this planet. Um, or any other planet that actually has uh, Skype availability. Now, I would, I weed, I would tell you the phone number to call in on. Unfortunately, my computer just locked up, and I am caught between a rock and a hard place. But I will get that number out to you really quick uh, as soon as it pops up here. It, uh, sorry, Elizabeth kind of threw me for a loop there for a sec. Uh, I wasn't quite ready for for a math test carry on oh, that's good <laughs> that's fine <laughs> yeah we're having problem. It, it seems like it's like engaged lips this evening are Ooh, we at the fruit. end of mercury retrograde oh, if, do you know if do you know uh, where and when it ends if it's I, ended i thought it ended and i love to say i don't believe in that but honestly uh-huh. i think mercury in retrograde is just something that constantly happens on Spaced Out Weekend, anyway, because I'm pretty sure Dave right. on Spaced Out, Spaced Out Radio doesn't have Mercury dropping in it at all. It's, no. it's saved for the weekend. No, he's got the he's got the golden plated Mercury that always goes forward. Gosh darn him! Well, that plus he's got his 18 year old genius kid at, at uh, from NASA working on the 15 or 16 computer monitors that uh, stack up in the studio on his size of the cabin. So it's uh, it gets a little irritating to, when I walk in and see all his gear and his uh, minions working. Maybe he's actually an alien. 
and he's actually <laughs> running another project. It's funny. That's you like actually said, for you the said night. maybe he's an alien? <laughs> we figured that out a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't think okay. they made humans well, that it's... short. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, that's enough about Dave and his <laughs> solid gold-plated mercury that doesn't go retrograde. Let's talk about animal communication because um, I had the great fortune of talking with one of our listeners this week and um, I was doing a reading for him and he turned around and did one for me and he said, you know, they're telling you you should do more animal communication because it helps you learn about your character deficiencies. He put it in a different way. And in in truth, and then he said, you do have a codependent relationship with your animals. And it's like, you think? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, but I really love doing animal communication. It's one of the first truly direct, intuitive art forms that I practiced. And it, it did not require throwing um, coins for the I Ching, which was the very first. It did not require uh, throwing a card or throwing cards in the tarot. It simply happened, and it was very, very easy because animals are very forthcoming, and they have a lot of energy to give, and they have a lot of love to give. Now, it can be harder for people to read for their own animals. So in my case, um, I did not start by reading for my own animals. And there are some pitfalls that can happen when you are trying to read for your own animals, but some people manage to avoid them. Uh, but one of them is projection. You can project your own wants or needs on your own animal. If you're a new reader and... Um, you can project your own opinions. And, you know, if you don't have somebody to validate what you're doing, no one's going to be able to tell you differently that, no, your, your animal really isn't thinking that. That's what you're thinking. So what I would say to people who want to practice animal communication is find a good situation for practicing on animals that you don't know, for people that you don't know, who can validate for you whether or not what you're saying is correct. And if you're really lucky, find a way of working with a veterinarian and, and working with the animal's body, like find uh, either doing remote viewing or Reiki with remote viewing or basically just connecting and listening to the body. And if you are lucky or if you have a person who has an animal that's recently been seen by a vet, um, they can validate if you're picking up information from the body that is correct um, or not. So I had the good fortune. The way animal communication began for me was when I was very little. I was four years old and I had a family horse speak to me about my feeling sorry for myself. And she basically bit me so my mind cleared and then said, hey, you know, quit feeling sorry for yourself. And I was feeling sorry because I had a, a – I couldn't speak. I had a, a, a speech deficit. What is it called? A, a, anyway, my L's were wise. And my brothers and sisters and fam sister and family, they were picking on me. And I was saying, ye me a yone because they didn't want to hear my story because it had a lot of L's and Y's in it already. And then I said, ye me a yone and then they all laughed really loud. And I went out to go feel sorry for myself, and I talked to my nanny mare, who who was looking over the fence at me, and instead of her being all sympathetic and snuggly, 
she bit me and said, listen, it could be worse. You could be a horse and not able to talk at all. So that was my first experience of animal communication where something that was those were not my thoughts. I was too little to have those thoughts and I was too busy feeling sorry for myself to have those thoughts. And I wasn't anywhere near that wise. Um, but I had that experience of some other being's thoughts coming into my head and, you know, basically communicating to me, hey, this is what you need to know. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Uh, didn't happen again until I was in my late 20s, 27, and I had just learned Reiki and I had just learned second degree Reiki and I was working for a vet and I went to go take care of his animals one day and he had a very old dog who was blind who was a collie with really thick fur and his fur and he barked his name was Wags and he barked all the time because he was blind and he was using bark as kind of echolocation well and he barked at me a lot but then he kept turning his rump toward me and then I heard him in my head say my rump my rump put your hands on my rump because he had a sense that I had energy and he wanted some, so I put my hands on his rump, and there were just tons of Reiki went flying through my hands. And he stayed happily looking at me as I did five minutes of Reiki on his rump, and then I needed to go back to the veterinary clinic because <laughs> I couldn't stay there all day. And he kept barking again, saying, no, come back, put your hands on my rump. And I could hear this voice in my head saying, but no, come back. Um so I told the vet that his dog needed some attention for his rump, and he was a grumpy old ex-military vet who had been involved with, you know, he was, he was very compassionate. He was a horse vet, but he'd worked on primates before for the military, so we won't, won't get into that. But, you know, grumpy, stern, could scare the crap out of people just being in a bad mood. And I said, well, I think Wags needs some attention for his rump when you get home. And he said, well, how do you know that? And I said, well, he just seemed to communicate that to me, that that's what he wanted. <laughs> and he was like, well, I don't see how you can be sure of that. He just barks. He barks all the time. That's what he does. And I said, well, it would make me feel better if you would check out if there might be something going on with his rump when you get home. So he did that when he got home late at night that night. And he found a bunch of maggots growing out of Wags's skin that he couldn't feel through the thick fur. And Wags had a skin skin infection. So he spent a lot of time doctoring his own dog that evening and had to come into work late the next day. And that was validation. You know, I, otherwise I wouldn't know. Did I, you know, I could have walked away from that situation and said, wow, I... I'm imagining that dogs are talking to me. That's really interesting, isn't it? Hmm, what's going on with me? But it so happened that the dog really did have an issue. So animals are tend to be very um, honest, uh, honest appraisers of how they're feeling, honest appraisers of what they would like, honest appraisers of when they need help. Most animals, not all animals. Um, you'll find some stoic X-race horses and stoic horses. You'll find some cats who lie about who pooped outside the litter box. But those are, you know, one percenters or one percent of the time. Most of the time, it's really great to work with animals because they are so honest and they are so forthcoming. So 
Um, there can be times also when the communication with animals happens outside of time. And in that case, the way that communication might come to you is in a dream instead of directly as a thought or directly as words in your head. Uh, I have friends and I've had the experience of dreaming of animals that intend to become my animals or they've had dreams of animals intending to be their animals or dreams of when their animal is ready to pass, their animal telling them in a dream that they're going to be ready in a week or two. or and, and so be aware of that, that if you're not sure if you can communicate with your own animal, if you have a dream about an animal and you remember it, write it down. If you have a dream about your own animal where something is communicated, write it down. Um, and then check the information to the best of your ability. So there are there are different ways animal communication can come about. Um, dreams are one, especially if they're your animal or going to be your animal. Um, then the other way is you can keep getting a niggling thought. You know, oh, I really need to take care of this for for Buster. And then you forget about it. Oh, I really need to take care of this for Buster. It may be Buster asking you to do it and you keep putting it out of your mind because you're not sure why you thought it. So pay attention to your niggling thoughts. If you keep having a random thought, oh, I should really do this for Buster. Or Chiquita, you know, she needs that. I should do that for Chiquita. It may very well be Chiquita or Buster asking you for something, asking you for something they would like to have or asking you for something they would like to do. So pay attention to those thoughts that you might put out of your head that are short and sweet and come up at, at random times when you're doing something else and not focusing on your animal. Because sometimes the act of not focusing makes it easier for them to get a message through. Sometimes if you focus too hard on trying to connect with your animal, you become your own block to the situation. Like you just prevent yourself. Oh, I really want to talk to animals, but I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. And then you know what? You can't. So another way communication can happen is if you start to get a pain in your physical body and, you know, you might start feeling like your left knee hurts. And then you look at your dog and your left dog, your dog is limping. Uh, you know, it looks like the left knee or the left leg isn't working. Sometimes you can mirror each other's pains, and, and your animals can get your pain, but you can also have your animal's pain. So pay attention if you start to feel a pain that you don't think you should have and you're not sure why you have it. Look around, look at your animals, and check them out and make sure that they're okay because sometimes they can just directly, we're in each other's energy field, and you can directly feel their pain. They can directly feel your pain. Um, a lot of times people have the idea that their animals don't hear them when they're thinking something or don't know what the plans are or, or don't, don't understand what's about to happen, that they're, they're dumb. Well, what happens is every time you imagine or visualize doing something um, or you make a new plan and you imagine it or visualize it, you're sending that out as a telepathic communication to the animals that are in your energy field. And they usually hear it loudly and clearly, even if you don't think they do. You can be, 
you know, afraid that you are going to do something that will upset them or make a change that will upset them or a change in your living situation or relationship. Your animals, if they are living with you, are normally 100% very clear on your situation because that is their situation. And um, they normally have, you know, opinions about it. But if you're going to do something or change something or make a new plan, normally they hear that as soon as you think it. And if you're thinking it over multiple times, they're seeing every iteration of what you think. Um, visuals, when you visualize something, when you conceptualize something, when you imagine something, you're sending it out in in your energy field and they do pick it up. Um, so... Those are just a few of the ways, if you have your own animals, that, that this can come about. If you love your animals, it's so much easier. And I think most people do love their animals, and they know that they're loved by their animals. Because it's a no-judgment zone, um, you can't really do animal communication wrong unless you're not actually doing it, unless you're just reading yourself. And I rarely meet people who are just reading themselves, but I've met a couple in 20 years. Um, so, and they're, they're beginners and know-it-alls, and most people aren't, and most animals are very honest. So be aware that it can happen, but, you know, and be a, check yourself if you think that might be happening. But um, don't be terribly worried about that. So that being said, let's see... <laughs> Um, I guess if James is still around and able to I am. Um, to look at the board or look and see if there are any questions, I would yes. be happy to take questions. And, and I'll just give you the uh, phone number uh, right now, too. It's uh, 575-694-6634. Again, that's 575-694-6634. Three, four, and I've got a question from the chat room on Spreaker from Mario, and he's just kind of checking to see if this is a normal thing with cats. He has a cat. She thinks she is royalty, which is all uh-huh. cats. Uh, she only wants to sleep on his bed. She's a very picky eater, understands his words and not other people's words, thinks it's a human, he perceives, and she think he thinks that she actually cries when she sees that she is a cat. Is that normal? What's her name? And let's see what's going on there. Oh, or- care. Okay, Mario, you just type in uh, whether or not, or just give us the name of your cat. First name. First name. Yeah, don't give us the last name because we don't want. <laughs> we name. don't want to get her phone calls and uh, you know, getting rude mail. Pet and name is. Yeah. Pet these name people is looking okay, her up on uh, Snapchat. Um, Dexter is Mario's Dexter. cat's name. It, Dexter is a girl or a guy? Girl. Girl. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, hold on. Because yeah, my cat thinks she's the queen, too. Or at least one of them does. Oreo does. Hold on. Holding on. This is the time where Elizabeth communicates with your cat and tells it to eat your food. When you're home. Sorry. Shush. Um, 
Dexter, Mario, Dexter is exceedingly possessive. And Dexter knows she's a cat, but she doesn't want anyone else to get between you and her. And and so, you know, when you get the sense that Dexter looks in the mirror and is going, Wow, God, I'm a cat. Oh, no. It's not that... It's not like uh, body dysmorphia, like I was supposed to be born in the body of a human and I wasn't. It's actually a sense of insecurity that someone might come between you and her. And so, you know, there there is insecurity there, like wanting to sleep or sleep on the bed, wanting to be with you, wanting you to pay attention. Um there's a little bit of insecurity that somebody might come between and become more important than Dexter. And I'm not sure if you're in a relationship. I almost think I don't, or if you're not in a relationship, but, um, you know, just tell Dexter that there's no other kitty and, and no one else that, that could possibly separate the two of you. As long as that's true. Now, I'm the kind of person I would never get rid of an animal once I have them, so um, my animals know this. But um, as long as it's true, tell Dexter there's no one that will come between you. It's an insecurity. It's not a body dysmorphia. Hold on one second. Um, you are highly entertaining, Mario. You're a highly entertaining human being, and um, and Dexter almost doesn't want you, doesn't want other people to know how entertaining you are and how fun you are to be with. So it, it's kind of being, this information is being given with a sort of half-hearted, I really don't want to have to say this because, you know, then other people might find out how cool Mario is, and and they might want to get in the you know way of what I the good thing I've got going on. Um, so, uh, but you you kind of do need to know that you're you have a lot of good qualities that Dexter perceives that she feels other human beings and others would perceive about you, and then that makes her insecure. Like how cool is how cool is Mario? Wow, that's great. Um, so, but I just give lots of love and lots of reassurances. And Dexter's exceedingly smart and has a good sense of humor and and, and does laugh at the funny things that you think in your head. Um, so know that. So it, Dexter can actually laugh at the things that Mario is thinking. In inside, like yeah, like that's pretty funny, you know. That's humorous. Oh, okay. That's interesting, you know. Yeah, thinking and or saying that there's there's a, a sense of being entertained in, in enjoyment of not just Mario um, doing certain things, but also thinking certain things and being oh. a certain way. So shut the yeah. front door. That's cool. If anybody yeah. has a question in one of the chat rooms that I'm looking at here, which is um, Spreaker uh, via SpaceOutRadio.com or on the SOR Space Travelers on Facebook, could you uh, type it in capitals so it'll pop out and I can determine which is a question and which is a statement? 
Oh, that sounded very police-like, didn't it? I'm afraid this is yes, not a statement. Yes, make your statement here in all caps. Yes, Gosh. all caps and left-handed. Thank you. This has been a Put report. Put your finger on from... your nose while you do it. We want to see if you can type one-handed. Did you know, <laughs> young Elizabeth, that the first time I started what? reading cards for uh, people I didn't know, the second card that I pulled was there, um, in one case, it was a cat that had passed and was passing on information about the cat that was now living with the family. And uh, oh. it was health information about the cat. Yes, that is actually something that happened. So when my previous cat to Oreo passed away his name was Simba and he was he was my protector he he was with me through all of the big bad alien stuff and and he really was a protector cat he protected me energetically he, he was a good cat but when he passed away he was hit by a car because he liked to be outdoors and he got chased by a dog into the road right when a car was coming and he, you know, he would have easily, handily gotten away from the dog. He just managed to run the front tire of the car. And it was very sad. But he came to me right after, and he he showed me and showed three other people what my next cat would look like and what she was like. And this is Oreo, who is the queen. And everybody saw this long-haired black-and-white cat who had an attitude, who liked to meow and liked to talk verbally. Meow, you know, I want this, I want that, I want the other thing. And um, I found her, um, and she is the cat that he described. So sometimes you can have spirit mediumship, and, and they can also come and help you with other animals, you know, if they're sick or you haven't, you know, possibly a transition with an animal happening. Um, in my case with Oreo, it was transition into my life, not transition out of my life since since oh, Simba had very just... Very cool. So, very, very yeah. nice. I'm just browsing through. Um, Sherry Hackenberg-Smith says she had a cat that saw spirits. It's, she's just letting you know that. That's kind of cool. Yes. No, cats can cats can see family members who are visiting, especially especially if they have passed recently within the past two years. But sometimes if they're hanging around you, you've got something going on, and you may have a grandparent or, or somebody who cares about you in spirit or even um, angelic forces that are presencing or their energy is in your space you'll see your cats looking at them. Sometimes there are alien beings. I We had a cat um, presence, an alien being, a winged snake, one of the reptilian winged snakes, um, that was coming out of a light socket. And the cat could see it, and he jumped up and grabbed it, and he turned it physical. So it, it was non-physical, and as soon as he grabbed at it it became physicalized it was the weirdest thing ever but they can see things that we can't see um they can also sometimes other spirits human spirits or other animal spirits can overlay not just on cats but on other animals on birds can overlay on them and behave differently so if you find you know say you had a friend pass away or another animal pass away and then all of a sudden your cat is acting 
in some way like them. That could be that there's there's a spiritual overlay that your cat is channeling something. So usually something good because well, cats are good. That's kind of a and also way of um, doing a spirit overlay would be if you know something passed and all of a sudden a bluebird shows up on your window. It's exactly yeah. It's it's just a sign that, that something's yeah. yeah. That's, that, that's what I found. It, that's what I found. It happens the most with birds and cats. Dogs are a little bit too grounded and too, too, too. They're very much themselves. They don't spend a tremendous amount of time in the astral. I'm not sure what the thing is with birds. I think birds are just, for whatever reason, easier. But uh, birds and cats are what I found in doing sessions. And they're oh. sure there could be more. But that's. Um you know, I, I, it's very, very, very cool. Fascinating. And fascinating. Does anybody yeah. have any? Yeah. Fascinating. 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 <laughs> yes. I'm looking through the, um, oh, let's see. Um, Eric said he thinks his cat has seen a portal. Um, that's kind of interesting. Cats could see portals. If there's an energetic change or an astral change, um, your cat is most like most likely the being in your house that you can see that is going to be aware of it. Um, so, for example, a portal, um, a portal opening up in your home, a portal outside, something like that, your cat would see it. Um, someone coming in or, or someone leaving or a ghost, um, an alien. I don't know about Bigfoot because mainly Bigfoot are outside. The only time I've had an animal um, see Bigfoot has been Wyatt because he could go outside and I don't let my cats outside anymore since Simba died. But, um, yeah, they can see things we can't see. So pay attention to your cats if you're wondering about any other paranormal stuff that's going on in your house oh yeah it's uh kind of creepy anyway (laughs) it's like i'm thinking (laughs) that okay well my cat's gonna go outside and he's gonna do what to where and he's gonna overlay on somebody well one of the things that i'm curious about uh with animal communication do you find that um some of the people who are actually veterinarians um, and this is something that that you may know that other people won't, but there are actually animal communicators who are uh, not openly telling their clientele that that's what they do. I have found that from the vet that I worked with, he was incredibly compassionate to animals, and he had an issue with human beings. He really loved animals. He really loved animals because they were always honest. And and he could tell from their physical body language, from how they they looked when they came in, he could tell what was going on with them because 
he had learned their language physically and energetically and otherwise, he wouldn't have said that he believed in any woo-woo-like energy or he believed in any sort of communication. But he was he was a tremendous energy healer, and that if you worked for him, and one of the reasons why why a lot of people didn't work for him was that if you were ever not honest about something or you had a hole in your energy field, he would attack you through the hole in your energy field. He would try to point it out to you by by sort of attacking it. And once you realized that he was poking at your energy hole and that, that he was he was also, when he was assessing the animals that came in, finding out where their energy was off, even though he was doing it subconsciously, he wasn't necessarily consciously doing it. He was a master at finding where energy was off. But with people, he was very aggressive about it. He didn't, he didn't like to see anybody's energy be off. And what happened with me is that before I learned Reiki, I had a lot of energy holes. And over the first six weeks of of doing Reiki on myself, my energy filled up. And he used to come in in the morning and look at me and sort of scowl and then sort of look at the area where my energy was off. And then as it filled up and filled up one morning, he came in and he looked at me and he went, huh, and and, <laughs> and kind of, you know, had a puzzled look and didn't scowl and, and kind of shrugged his shoulders and went into his office. So it was like the first morning I ever saw him where he didn't, frown at me or scowl at me and kind of grumble away <laughs> so um th- the, so in that the best case, kind of guy to work that. for <laughs> just the- yeah he was it's like oh my energy is good why because he's not trying to attack me first thing when he walks through the door and he doesn't know he can't find an in but he he was as i watched him go along i could tell that he was assessing the animal's not just medically, he was really, really seeing them energetically and otherwise. And we all had a sense in the vet office when an animal came in ready to die and when the animal was going to be saved and going to go on and continue to live in the physical body. And he, when we would talk about it, he would not stop us. He would not say, that's all hoo-ha, you can't talk about that. Because we would just go, you know, an animal would come in and we'd look at it and we'd all go, if it were, if it was the animal's time, we'd go, something's going to happen. Even if it looked like it was a a minor case, we'd go, something's going to happen. This animal's not going to be here. And, and almost a hundred percent of the, well, a hundred percent of the time we were right. So that kind of thing does happen in healing with animals. And some will not admit it. Others will. I've got a question here um, from uh, Catherine. Her dog is attached to her hip. Every like like they're best friends. She goes to work. She goes. Um, at one time, Catherine cried and she came to comfort her, but when she got close, she got overwhelmed and started crying and whimpering until she got her distance. So, what's a good way to control emotional or, or emotional protection on your friend? For your, for your, for yeah, your dog. I'll, I'll reread this. Yeah, if your, if your friend, if your pet, in this case, uh, Catherine's dog, comes to, um, you know, give you some protection, how do you protect your dog from absorbing your emotions? Um, that is a very good question because even if you think you've done it, a lot of times you'll. They'll still, because they love you so much and they love you so unconditionally, 
a lot of times they'll try to share the burden with you and they'll try to take your emotions from you. And that's what it sounds like happened with her dog, that her dog emotionally, energetically took what was, took on what was Mm -hmm. bothering Catherine. And that is their, animals have free will. There will be people who will get on and the moment I say this, they'll say, no, they don't. And that's why they're not human. But the, but the fact of the matter is animals have a certain amount of free will and in relationship with others, they have a certain amount of free will. And um, one of the things that they do with their free will is decide if they want to help somebody, heal somebody, protect somebody, um, you, you know, and various other things, eat the bacon off the counter. Um, mm, but bacon. Taking oh, on, yeah, <laughs> bacon. Yeah, don't let your dog eat the bacon off the counter. That's very bad. Um, but the... If you can take care of your own energy structure, the best way to protect your animals is to keep yourself clear of emotional drama and also clear yourself of old emotions that you don't need and keep yourself very healthy because whether or not you're manifesting a physical illness or an emotional distress or illness or dis-ease, if your animal really loves you, It can be their free will to take that on. And the clearer and the cleaner and the healthier you help yourself be, then you help your buddy because they're going to be as clear and clean and feeling as good as you do Mm -hmm. if if they have decided that they are your helper, healer, and protector. Um, You can't, and you can do things like angelic protection of your animals, but never get the idea that you're in control and they don't have any free will. And I've met people like that who have, uh, who have said, my dog can't manifest this illness because I've done all this work clearing this from myself. And it's like, well, you are not actually the be-all and end-all for your animal. You are part of what they're relating with in this world. That doesn't mean you're everything. And yes, if you were to manifest an illness and they were to get something similar, it could be related. But it may be that it is their it is their own illness and it's not yours or it's coming from something else for them. So, you know, while I'm saying keep yourself clear, you're not going to be the be-all and end-all. So you can do things like angelic protection, invoke Archangel Michael, Uriel, Metatron, whoever you feel most comfortable with. Um, or most animals have their own protector spirits. You can just call in their protector spirits to come and protect them and cleanse them and clear them. And um, that would be the way to do it besides keeping yourself clean, clear and clean. Very cool. Uh, Lisa asked a question um, she would like to know why her kitties are eating duct tape, plastic, cardboard, and anything else they can peel off her walls and floors, which leads to the question, why does Lisa have cardboard and duct tape on her walls and floors? But that's for another show. Uh, <laughs> she was wondering why her kitties are eating all that stuff. Um, you know what? Cats tend to... I, my sense is, there might be another reason, but cats tend to need MSM, which is in grass. And anything that is grass-like or gives them the sensation that eating long grass outside would, they get attracted to, especially if they are MSM poor. That's um, um, 
look up M ca- capital M S M methyl sulfonuria something but it's a sulfur compound that helps them process their food. It helps them lack inflammation. Um, it helps them with their brain processing. It's one of the one of the very important things, minerals or, or chemicals that cats need is MSM. So getting them some cat grass, and if they can't, do her cats go outside or have access to grass? I guess I should ask that question too. Yeah, I don't know, but uh, okay. I will ask. Uh, I think she yeah. she's in both of the chat rooms, so she'll probably jump up uh, okay. and uh, let us know. And we'll wait here but patiently. That's, that's what I found, if, especially if it's multiple cats. You might want to check what food you're feeding them, whether or not they have um, it has any sort of vegetable matter. But MSM is there's really high concentrations of it in grass, and some cats want cat grass more than other cats or need it more than other cats. Wow! So I did not know that. Yeah. This is kind of cool. Um, why do some cats like to knock things off shelves, just apparently for no reason? Bob is asking that. Well, it depends on how old they are. Um, <laughs> the other thing is it depends on whether or not they want your attention and you're not paying attention to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often, in my experience, knocking things off shelves is... I tried to get your attention some other way, and you totally ignored me, and so, dink, there go your glasses. Um, if they're kittens, it's just fun. It's like, oh, gravity works. What else does it work on? Dink. Um, so it would really depend, Bob, on whether you have kittens or older cats. Um, and if your cats are running the household like mine do, it's mainly Oreo if I ignore her lately as she gets older and and wants more attention she is always knocking things off the table and off the shelf and i can tell yeah Yeah. that's when you have you seen that um i think it's youtube video of a cat barking and no it's it's up on a garage door and it's just going bark like a little barking sound over and over and over again and then when it turns around and sees the owners there it starts it turns the bark sound into a meow. Mm-hmm. We're allowed to shoot that's, cats like that, right, Art? I'm not sure, but that's no, just my own feeling. No, no, some cats okay. actually ha- naturally have a bark. Um, oh, they do? Siamese cats. Siamese cats have a barking meow. Um, Those so, little weasels. Some of them. Those little darn weasels. I'm a dog person myself, primarily because they eat cats. And, um, no kidding they just they do chase them. Not. they don't not if you keep my yeah my cat's been washing my cat's been grooming my dog lately uh bella has been grooming wyatt lately and no. he's very patient he hasn't eaten her for you know she's not grooming him she's tasting him she's wondering which part <laughs> i'm gonna eat first when you die <laughs> <laughs> evil little stinkers no she's she no. do, that. do you communicate it. with your cat? Like, because you do animal communication, Elizabeth, do you constantly 
um, is it like living in a house with a bunch of humans where it's, no, you do the dishes today or is there, is there a back and forth during the day? Well, yeah, there's a back and forth, but I actually talk to them. I mean, I, I, I talk out loud to them and I do this with my horses too. And I always have, I talk out loud and some people will get really annoyed saying like, you upset your horse when you tell him everything that is about to happen. And it's like, no, I don't upset them. I'm thinking when I'm talking, I'm thinking of the thing I'm talking about and I'm visualizing it in my head because I'm a very visual person. And so then they can see. So I'm actually actively talking because there isn't anybody else around so usually there can be, but I still talk to my animals. They don't tend to talk back too much. Um, Oreo does. Yeah, Wyatt does. Give me give me the rest of your steak. But usually he'll bark for it, and Oreo will meow. And, you know, so, but no, animal, if you're going to have an animal communication, it usually should be, do you want to do a body scan on the animal to make to make sure that, you know, everything that a vet can't see, you've got it covered by viewing it energetically. Um, if there is a change in behavior, you may want to ask the animal's guides, do a body scan and then ask the animal's protectors and guides, hey, what's up with this change in behavior? Is there something I need to go to the vet about or is there something that I can do to change it or is it it's something about a change in my life? Um, when you have an issue, that's a good time to to see an animal communicator. But if you guys are just all hanging out together, you're communicating much more on an unconscious level than you probably realize you are. Um, oh. uh, so. Sherry just met something in the speaker or the uh, Spatial Radio chat room here on Spreaker. The uh, she's she had some Siamese cats, but she has guinea pigs, and it just reminded me of, we have a guinea pig that will try to trick. Everybody who walks into the room is like a, a new person to prey on, to feed uh-huh. her. And she talks. She's a, a squeaky little purring, making pigeon wee, sounds. Wee, wee. Yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah. Uh, which just fascinates my dog, who also speaks. He he, he does yeah. bark, but he does a lot of the kind of stuff too Um, we've got a call coming in from a uh, 727 phone number hi who's this my name's Amy Toy I thought I had an interview today with Spaced Out Radio with James Tyson you do don't you yeah I think I think so I don't know (laughs) Uh, oh no you know what Um, I'm going to Call you back in a couple of seconds. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> bye bye. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> sorry. No oh, laughing. You have I do have I'm John. I'm sorry. Tonight. Yeah. So you carry you know, on. You have ten no, minutes or seven minutes yeah. to uh, do the show, and uh, we'll go from there. I'm gonna call this young lady back. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So let's see. What else? So what's my summation? I am actually going to go over to SOR Space Travelers. Hey, you guys, I, I'm not I'm not on com. but if you're in SOR Space Travelers. Um, oh, look, Bob Davis. My cat will question. My cat will go behind my bedroom door, stare at a blank wall, and caterwaul. What's up with that? Um, I... I 
I will look at Bob's cat. I hope I have the right one. If you can type in her name, that would be helpful. So at the top of the wall, at the top of the, the, there's something in the wall at the top of the wall, like a bird or a, um, something that's nested in between the, the walls. And something up at the, t- I don't know if your bedroom is in, in the level near your roof, but I've got that something has crept in there. And your cat would li- really like to get it for you. Like get it and make it be dead. So it's not something paranormal. It's actually something that is has crawled into your wall that, only she can hear. Um, it's either a bird or a small animal or a small squirrel or bat or something like that. So she is sensing that there is a critter up there, and I really want that critter. And that's what she says that's about, Bob Davis. And so you might want to check out the outside or if there's a, you know, a, a certain section of that wall um, that has a space where a critter could get in there because that's what she's sensing, critter. I want the critter. I want to make the critter dead. So, I, and that's you gotta love that. Cats are very honest about that. There, there are critters in the world, and some of those critters need to, you know, they're prey. Does anybody else in SOR Space Travelers have a question? If you do, write it down. Um, wow, I spent a lot of time talking about cats, but um, I actually like to read for horses very much and dogs, and I tend to do a lot of dog readings and quite quite a few horse readings. I used to do mainly horse readings. Um, if you are thinking about becoming an animal communicator or thinking about becoming an intuitive, I suggest animal communication as a practice to learn because if, especially if you're doing any sort of body scans, um, learning how to communicate with the physical body. Animals can help you with that because they will so easily show you what's up with them that they will actually try to help you because they don't have words to, to say and they don't have words to talk. And one of the things that can happen with people is that we can be, and maybe um, <laughs> Bill Cardwell can use this later, we can be obsequious where we don't really, uh, obsequious and obtuse and, and we don't really, we leave it open and we don't really want to be specific about what's happening with us because we may either be in denial about it or we don't want to share it or we don't, or we have some feeling of subjects being taboo. Animals don't. They, and generally they want to survive. They want to thrive. They want to be healthy. Um, you know, their wants and needs are, are basic and, and non-neurotic. And so if you're doing any sort of intuitive work, they're wonderful subjects, especially if you don't know them and don't know their owners, because they will be very open and forthcoming with what's going on with, with them. Um, and let's see, what else can I tell you? Um, there are times if you 
for a lot of the paranormal people, the paranormal investigators, uh, if you get heavy energy of ghost activity or unhappy spirit activity, you may find that animals don't want to spend any time in those places. So, for example, if you were to go out to an investigation and you had your trusty dog, your dog might not want to go towards something that had a heavy paranormal energy or, or a sadness or, or something that just wasn't right. So they can often be indicators in the house that, um, that there is an unhappy ghost or there is some kind of portal that's opened up that isn't positive and they would not necessarily want to go in that area anymore. Um, so animals can be great helpers to people who study the paranormal or are wondering if there is something paranormal going on with the house. Um, that being said, hey, I just realized I should probably refresh my um, Facebook because you know how it doesn't show you when comments come through? Those of us on space. Start radio space travelers know this. Um, ah, look, there we go. More comments. Hold on. Oh, John Connor, your kitty's a critter getter. So I missed that because I didn't update it. Um, okay, so I'm gonna have to go back. The, I had I got the horse with the rubber chicken. Thank you all for the. That horse is actually playing me music with that rubber chicken. If you look at the end of the video, you can actually pick up rhythm and um, the sense of the horse being musical. He's not just shaking it for the heck of it. He's actually making music with it. So um, give that video a look because the second half of the video, listen for the music, listen for the rhythm in that chicken. It's very, very, very cool. Horses are exceedingly musical, and that's why they're so good at things like dressage, dressage with music. And if you're a rider and you want to help your horse um, feel relaxed and feel happy and, and gain rhythm, sing. Sing to your horse or ride to music. They love that. They, they love to be musical. Okay, so we have all sorts of cat questions or cat things um, here. Oh. oh, Luna Magic. Thank you, Gloria Vega Roberts, for your picture of Luna um, and Shadow. And thank you for Bootsy. Bootsy, she has, Gloria put pictures of her, her kitties and her dog. Okay, Casey says, my dog is never comfortable in one place ever. Could this be spirits doing this to him? Okay, hold on, Casey. Did I read for you, dog, before? I don't remember. Well, see, now I want to put my dog's picture up there just because. Um... I get I get a couple of different things. So I get things about his paws, especially on his back legs, and things about his, his lower digestive tract, that there's something going on in his lower digestive tract and something with his paws, like he's not comfortable on 
uh, especially the, I guess it, it feels like the back left. Hold on. And check out his lower digestive tract. Something's going on in there. That's where mm. your car keys are. Yeah, he may have got. He may have eaten something. It may be stuck in the digestive tract. He doesn't have a mental issue, of course, Casey. Why would your dog have a mental issue? Come on, um, it, it's it's definitely physical, and it's and the rear rear legs and lower digestive tract toward the inside of the tummy. Like if you pet the tummy um, just above where the left lower leg comes in and rub him there. It feels like you may move things along or, or something has happened in there with the lower digestive tract. And um, also are his paws, um, I'm wondering if they're inflamed in some way and if they're cracked. So take a look at his paws and, and his nails. But there's something going on with his digestion and with, with the back paws. But he didn't seem to have any... Um, mental stuff so yeah okay Elizabeth, it's that time isn't it it is yes. and i want to tell you i i wouldn't mind if um would you do this one more time because sure. i've got a lot of questions i've got some from the other chat room which i bailed from uh don wanted some more questions uh char wanted to talk about her horse but obviously we can't get that done because we got to go and uh, talk, bring John in. But uh, I'd like to thank you for coming on. And if they actually want to send you emails and talk about this stuff after, where can they send them? Um, info at ElizabethAnglin.com will work. And you can uh, check me out on my website, ElizabethAnglin.com. And I'll, I'll come back in a couple of weeks and we'll do another one. So Excellent. don't. Don't be strangers. Come back. Oh, there's about as strange as you can get. Thanks, Elizabeth. <laughs> Good night. And right. uh, we'll be back with John D'Souza right after this. on Space Out Weekend at spacedoutradio.com. Looking for news beyond the mainstream news? Head to spacedoutradio.com and check out the SOR Spacewire. This is Spaced Out Radio's Eric Markham, news director for the SOR Spacewire. Daily, I will bring you intriguing stories and outlandish reports from what's going on around the world. UFO sightings, paranormal activity, conspiracies, alternative health, and so much more. And if you have news, email me at news at spaceoutradio.com. 
Attention Spaced Out Radio listeners. For only $5 a month, you can join Spaced Out Radio Space Travelers. Your membership at spacedoutradio.com will give you access to private fan area on the website, get you a monthly newsletter, draws for monthly swag, and a whole lot more. Sign up today to become a part of the Spaced Out Radio experience. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream. Stories so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering, is this real? It's as real as it gets with Pacific North Weird. You can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. on Spaced Out Weekend. Thirteen, please. Oh, hi, Kevin. Oh, is that the time? Kevin, my friend, don't you find that watch just a little bit loud? Well, I certainly hope our buddy Bumblefoot is playing when we get there. Stinky big bundle of hair. I said Bumblefoot, not Bigfoot. Oh, it's going to be a long night. It's time to head to the 13th floor of the old log cabin for Spaced Out Weekend with James Tyson. You can tweet James at James Tyson SOR. You can find him on Instagram, Spaced Out Weekend, as well as on Facebook. On YouTube, our channel is Spaced Out Radio Show, and you can check out our website, spacedoutradio.com. Little brother has taken control, shoveling dirt in every hole. Predators to condemn your soul, watching you and watching me. We're all connected but separated, misunderstood and so frustrated. A million armies of one have invaded, watching you and watching me. We live behind glass curtains and act like nothing's wrong. Soon you will belong.
about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. And now, perched high in his captain's chair, way above the clouds, here's James Tyson. Welcome, everybody, to Spaced Out Weekend. It is I, James Tyson, broadcasting to you from my little log cabin up here on the 13th floor of the Spaced Out Radio Network in the paranormal portals of the lower left Canadian coast up here in the Pacific Northwest or Cascadia. I am your host, and I want to welcome all of you listening out at spacedoutradio.com, the United Public Talk Radio Network, High Plains Talk Radio Network, and those lovely people who are broadcasting us out of Las Vegas, whose call signs I just forgot. I apologize, but I'll get to you in a few minutes. <laughs> we are here. We are live. We are live seven days a week, um, and we're here 9 to midnight Pacific. Dave Scott's here Monday to Friday. I take the weekends on with the other scary, scary things. We want to be that one-stop shop when it comes to the supernatural, conspiracy, paranormal, UFOs, spiritual, and much more. Our music is provided by Ron Bumblefoot Thal, formerly of Guns N' Roses, and he is the official sound of Spaced Out Radio. Also, you can check me out on Twitter at Spaced Out Weekend. Give me a like on my Facebook, uh, the Spaced out weekend james tyson or and also spaced out radio on instagram you can find me at james tyson s-o-r and if you subscribe to youtube you can find us there tomorrow for these shows because they're downloaded but we're live on TuneIn and itunes this time i'd like to say hello everybody taking part in our chat rooms in the spaced out radio chat room on spreaker along with our fans on facebook and that's at the SOR Space Travelers. That's our flagship little little chat room. If you want to go to the SOR Space Travelers on Facebook, just say you want to be a member. We'll click you in there and say hi to everybody else. Have you signed up for this SOR Space Travelers Club yet? It's $5 a month. With that, you get your name entered into a monthly prize draw access to private group interviews, access to a special section on our website, and much more. We're giving a heck of a lot more than just access to our anchovies, or, sorry, archives. Uh, well, at spaceoutradio.com, you can read our latest blogs and check out Eric Markham's SOR Wire for the latest in the weird news. And he's a weird one himself, that Eric. We also have a new future feature on our website. The SOR Sightlines is there for you if you've had an experience and want it investigated by our researcher, Mike Smith, just fill out the sightlines report, and we'll get back to you. All information is 100% confidential, except all the stuff I put out on Facebook. Okay, maybe not. But <laughs> honestly, I don't do a lot of that on Facebook, mostly on um, on Instagram. So that's where I'll find it. I'm kidding. I will not. Do that, young lady. Tonight, I have a special guest who has been here before. It is John D'Souza. He is the X-Man. He was an FBI special agent investigator for over 20 years and collected all of the real-life X-Files. Today, he is uh, revealing these stories as a leading researcher and writer on a paranormal. He was 
an attorney and an investigator who maintained a top secret security clearance for many years. This background infused him with the ability to pursue and decipher mysteries that are beyond confidential or conventional abilities. Call the X-Men due to his collection of the real X-Files. John D'Souza is today releasing these true stories and changing the face of the paranormal and our understanding of reality. Now, when we had John back uh, or on before, it was uh, to talk to him about a book called The Para-Investigators. Those are 52 true tales and concepts of supernatural um concepts of the supernaturally gifted investigators. Now, these guys are mostly, I think these are all peace officers, police, um, government employees who had, during the course of their duties, bumped into something that was a little bit on the paranormal or supernatural side. And of course, because we all, no matter where you work, you want to go for coffee with the group and the team and sit at the big kids' table. So you probably don't mention this stuff out loud to your buddies. So uh, it's time when they retire or move on that you can actually come out and uh, talk about this stuff. And with John's experience and his background, it's safe. It was safe to come and talk to John about that. And that was his first book. The book that I want to talk about right now, The Extra Dimensionals. It's a nonfiction paranormal. It's the only kind of par- uh, paranormal stuff I read is the nonfiction. The Extradimensionals is a stark revelation of where alien visitors are actually coming from and where they are returning. Understanding extradimensionality is the way to unfold the truth of the paranormal, the spiritual, and even the physical world. The Extradimensionals have been with us since time immemorial. Yet only those with open minds and a clear heart will begin to decipher that which has been intentionally hidden from humanity for so long. At the very center of all these truths is the crux of the matter, the truth of extradimensionality, which is something that I, I'm very, very fascinated about because one of our psychics, uh, Joanna, has been uh, bumping into extra or uh, interdimensional uh, beings, and uh, this is something that has been getting a little more, um, or coming a little bit more to the forefront in the last little while. So here he is, John. Welcome back to Spaced Out Weekend. Oh, thank you, James. Uh, thank you so much. It is so great to be here with you today again with uh, Spaced Out Weekend, and it is wonderful to be here. For those who don't, uh, for those who may not know, I am John D'Souza. I was a special agent with the FBI for over twenty years. During that time, I collected uh, what I like to call the real X files, and I share those with people like uh, like I do now in my book, The uh, Extra Dimensionals. And so, yeah, this is stuff that is. Very, very important, and I like to tell people, uh, James, that uh, I am here to suggest the unthinkable, that many of the assumptions and things we have taken for granted in ufology for the last 50 years have been completely, utterly wrong, and my book is here to, to back up that assertion and to lay down my case for a lot of the things that we believe uh, in ufology being absolutely untrue. And so 
that's what the extra dimensionals is all about. And that's what I go over. I go over a lot of the, I go over a lot of the classic cases that people know about. Uh, uh, some of the uh, cases such as uh, Rendlesham Forest invasion, the uh, Betty and Barney Hill abduction, uh, the Travis Walton incident. Uh, I go over a lot of the Billy Myers, uh, a lot of the classic cases. I also go over some cases that no one has heard of before and go over other incidents that have happened throughout history that have helped to increase our understanding of what uh, what extra dimensional alien visitors really are, what they represent and what their agenda is. So that's what I go into. That's fascinating. And if um, our listener wants to check out his website, John D'Souza's website is johntamabooks.com. That's John T A M A books.com and you know john i look at this and i see okay you must be a government employee you've got a mission statement on your website so (laughs) that's a clue as a police investigator that's a clue that this guy knows what he's doing um let's let's go back a little bit the last time we spoke you were talking about kind of kind of bringing light or shading shining light on the incidents that um you know the the boys in blue may have had uh, during during their careers those um, those kind of things that they kind of pushed off as well. No one's going to believe me if I ever see this. And you collected those stories. How did you go from there um, to get into the extra dimensional um, ufology side of things? Well, you know, even in my uh, previous book, the uh, Power Investigators. There were incidents incidents there that uh, had to do with UFOs and alien visitors. And that just, it seems like it's a phenomenon that is, it's not diminishing. It's not, it's, it's real, it's, it's getting bigger and it's getting, it's getting more and more uh, sporadic. Uh, it's something that occurs more often across across the planet. I've been doing some work with the uh, National MUFON office and looking at some of their materials. They have uh, they have about uh, three thousand UFO reports that come in through National MUFON uh, from around the world every month. So that's three thousand reports that actually are completed and turned in from people all over the world. Every single month. That's a that's an enormous enormous number. Uh, when you think of probably the ones that aren't being reported as well, the ones that never really make it uh, to the reporting stage. So it's, this is a phenomenon that's just I've seen that it's everywhere. And even in the paranormal community, uh, in other areas, it seems to pervade everywhere. There's people who have had those those experiences. People who are abductees, people who are contactees, people who are observers, uh, even people who are outreachers looking for contact with uh, alien visitors. And sometimes it's hard for people to understand what's the fascination. And the fascination is this. These incidents have been going on for thousands of years. Um, In my book, uh, I go, I open up with uh, one of the examples of Alexander, uh, Alexander the Great, in when he was just starting out, uh, he there's a record, there's a there's a good historical record that he attacked the city of Tyre was one of the first big conquests that he had, and there was a recording that 
during his attack on the siege, a siege on the city of Tyre, he there were shining shields that showed up in the sky, which attacked with lights that were shot at Alexander's troops for a period of time and really freaked them out more really than the damage that the uh, that the lights did these beams where we, we assume that there's some kind of lasers and then you know after a little while these shining shields in the sky as they were described changed direction and went against the city of tyre which was which was locked up tight against the siege and basically destroyed the city of tyre and helped alexander's troops do their first great really great conquest on their way to basically world domination so these experiences and these these things these stories have been with us as as fact and recorded in factual history for a very long time uh, and and you know we also we also know about the uh, ufos have been recorded in famous paintings famous yeah. paintings from antiquity i mean that's that's amazing uh like little clues left in these classic paintings uh, that go back, go back, you know, back to uh, medieval, uh, medieval times and and Renaissance times. It's amazing the stuff that has been left all over our culture from these uh, from these alien visitors that are that really there. This is not it's not mythology. It's not uh, it's not legend. I mean, it's it's there. It's etched. And it's real. It's recorded in our history. It's recorded by from reliable sources and by, from reliable witnesses as well. So that's this stuff is everywhere. And I noticed that as I was studying the paranormal and going through and collecting these uh, these areas, these stories in other areas of the paranormal. As I was collecting my what I call my X file stories, uh, I noticed that the theme of alien visitors just seeps into everything and it is everywhere and people are fascinated by it it's amazing oh yeah it's there's a number of things that have been coming up that i've noticed and you know that i i do interview psychics from all over the world mostly psychic investigators work for law enforcement um throughout uh, great britain and uh, north america i've talked to them and over the last two years they're spirit guides who give them the information that that uh, Joe Public and Joe Sixpack is asking for have been replaced by extraterrestrials. They Whoa. won't, a lot of them haven't come out and said it until I've asked them. And there's that pause, and it's, yeah, they have. And, and Joanna has one named Rob that we get lots of good info on <laughs> about all sorts of backgrounds. And now I'm wondering. And from the from your investigations and the people you've talked to, I wonder if um, there has been a shift that you can see coming. It's why, uh, or, or you know, has enough people on the planet kind of been comfortable now with that whole? Uh, oh yeah, there's life after death, so let's move to the next the next well, level there's a, here. There is definitely a tremendous shift coming, and uh, I was I was. Um, 
hoping that you would ask me uh, where did I get the actual name of the extra dimensionals for my book. I was hoping okay. that question would come. You wait and I'll ask you. Okay. <laughs> where did you get that name, extra dimensionals, for your book? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that because it, it leads into a point that goes directly to what you just said. Uh, the uh, opening of my book is uh, there's a chapter called a, a Call That Shook the Planet. And you may, I mean, most people in paranormal, this is one of the most famous uh, phone calls that ever occurred on the planet. And you may know what this is. Uh, late in, uh, in the fall of 1997, there was a national radio show that decided it was going to have a, it was going to have a, a show on Area 51. People were very curious about it, and they decided that uh, that would be a, an interesting topic for discussion. So the uh, the well-known national radio host cleared the lines, and he said, okay, anybody who has any connection or any has worked at uh, Area 51 in southern Nevada, which is the well-known uh, – the secret, well-known secret, but yeah, supposedly secret uh, air base that's for experimental purposes, supposedly in somewhere in southern Nevada. Uh, and so he cleared the lines and there were a lot of calls. There were a lot of calls. It was a late night show and a lot of the calls were just kind of vague. Yeah, I know. I have an uncle who knew somebody who had a friend who met somebody on an elevator that once said they worked in Area 51. There was a lot of calls like that and it really looked like the segment was kind of a bust because there was nothing really solid or anything you could really sink your teeth into that was uncovered. And that's kind of how the whole night just kind of went. Uh, very uninteresting. Then something happened. A call got through on the air from a young man who was very panicky. And to this day, you can search this on public databases under the name Panicky Area 51 Caller. That's uh, what the guy's uh, guy's name uh, became, basically in <laughs> in our culture. And to this day, you can find the transcripts on the on the commonly known video databases that are out there, and you can just look them up by that name. And he called and he said that he was on the run. He had been working at Area Fifty One, and he was trying to get away from some pursuers. And he sounded very desperate and very scared. He was calling from a payphone, uh, supposedly. Supposedly, he was calling from a payphone. He said he couldn't stay on very long because they were going to triangulate on his position soon. Now, putting aside, basically putting aside that that technology didn't really exist yet at that point, mm -hmm. at that in 1997. At least it wasn't well known at all. Uh, uh, it's commonly known today, but not at that time. Uh, putting that aside, the, the host told the young man, uh, please, I know you're, you sound scared, but please get out what you're saying and, and do you work at Area 51? Tell us, tell us whatever you can. Well, the young man began to, to blather and, and just spout out that uh, the, the alien visitors are here and they are not what they are pretending to be. They are something very, very different. He said that uh, – are a precursor of our space program went out into space and picked up some alien visitors like the way you would pick up a fungus or a bacteria and they infected this space crew and were transported back to the pentagon and ultimately to area 51 as well and they infected 
the uh, they, it, he made it sound like they took over ho- human hosts and became the human hosts uh, throughout the Pentagon and throughout Area Fifty One, and that they are now in and that they are now in contact with the global powers that real or the global actors that actually tell the, the nations what to do, and that they are telling the global powers uh, that. Great catastrophes are coming to the earth, tremendous catastrophes, and they are giving them the maps of where they could be moving people right now if they wanted to save the majority of the population. And that information is not being turned over to the, na- to the people of the nations because the global overlords do want depopulation and they do want the majority of people to be destroyed. And then he talked about the alien visitors themselves. He said they are not physical. They are not real in the way that we are real. And his final words were they are extra dimensionals. And then the line was cut. The satellite feed went dead. The analog feed went also went dead. And the uh, transmissions, all the boards went blank, and everything went down. And the host was basically there was nothing but dead air. Nothing but dead air went out. And this was a this is a huge national show that actually went actually went, was heard in other countries as well. And everything the this failure of transmission that occurred was staggering in terms of the amount of power it would have taken to actually knock this show completely off the air. And later later on, the uh, host was heard coming back on the air, and he didn't have any clue of any of what that co- panicky Area 51 caller, and like I said, anybody can, to this day can look up the transcript. All you got to do is Google uh, panicky Area 51 caller, and you can hear the phone. You can hear the call. It's still preserved out there. And Basically, like I said, the uh, host uh, was very upset and very perturbed by what happened. He didn't know if any of the call got out. Uh, He was heard later on, back on the air a while later, with a caller who was trying to explain to him, yeah, most of the call got out, but it got cut at some point, and he was very upset. Uh, Later on, the uh, host uh, was able to uh, get somebody some out-of-work actor who came on. And, and, okay, well, first I have to tell you that the impact of that call went all around the world in just a matter of days. The host came under tremendous, tremendous pressure to reveal if that was a scam, if it was a fraud, uh, if it was, uh, if the call was real or not. People were, <laughs> people were frightened. They were frightened by this call and what the, the things that the caller had to say. And so the uh, host of the show came under tremendous scrutiny. Uh, he was not happy at all. And he also couldn't get away from the topic. If he tried to change subsequent shows, he tried to change subject. He tried to do a new thing. He couldn't get away. Callers just kept on hammering at him. People kept hammering at him. It was a nightmare for the host because people demanded to know, people from all over demanded to know if that call was real or if it was a put on, or what the story was. And so that was the call that shook the planet. And as a result of all the pressure that he felt, 
the host was very happy uh, quite a, a while later when he, some out-of-work actor came on his show and said, oh, I was the guy. It was an acting job. I just did an acting job, and it wasn't uh, – it was just a big put-on that I did. And so the host was delighted to get this guy on to confess that he had been the caller it was all a big it was all a big fake and he got rid of the guy and everybody could go back to sleep and the problem had been solved but except the problem of course wasn't solved and i didn't really believe the confession uh it didn't it didn't ring it didn't ring quite right uh also the confession is also available if you keep if you search panicky area 51 caller you can also probably find panicky area 51 caller confession and that's out there too and it's he sounds like the same guy but what's missing is he doesn't and this is a glaring omission he says yeah i did it he tries to imitate the voice of the first caller and he says yeah i just did it for fun just to see if i could get away with it and but what's missing is when you create a piece of a work of art that really has global success because that's what he had uh you would say your name your website he would say who you are and when your when your next uh when your next theater theater routine is going to be you know and that was missing he didn't claim credit he didn't he never said his name he never said his website you know, so that he could actually make something out of this tremendous success of this fraud so that's one of the that's just one of the things that made me believe that his that first call was very likely to be have been genuine also the fact that it was knocked off the air by a tremendous amount of power that shut that call down and i think if people listen to both calls uh, the, for themselves, which they can do still today, uh, I think uh, they might come to the same conclusion I did, which is that the call that shook the planet was actually genuine and real. And that's why I, I took from his last line, I uh, took that for the uh, title of my book when he said, they are not physical like we are. They are coming from other dimensions of reality to which they return and they are extra dimensionals. That's fascinating. I've actually posted a link to the live call on our Facebook page, the SOR Space Travelers Facebook page, as Great. well as our, if you go to spaceoutradio.com and follow the link to the Spreaker, um, the link is there to it. And Great. it's got the call on there. That is fascinating. Oh, awesome. And and when and you listen to that call, and you and I, Already Many gone times. through the same courses um, on statement analysis and the yes. you know main issue and the trivial issue and all that stuff. But um, you know, when I, I haven't I haven't heard this, so I I will be listening to it with my investigator hat on, and uh, I too will kind of be going through this, wondering exactly ex you know what what this guy was uh, panicking about. Yeah. We we have a. A guest who's been on here a couple of times, John, and I should uh, get you a hold of him. Now, Derek Faust, ex-U.S. Uh, military communications um, in the Navy, now retired, young guy though, uh, did a couple of tours over in the in, um, the Gulf off Somalia looking for pirates and a few other bits and pieces, uh, communications on, on, a, uh, on a U.S. naval vessel. He... He has been followed by interdimensional beings. 
He's got photographs of them. Um, he's got a YouTube channel actually with the photographs of them and they have been identified as being family members. Does this common to you that some of these, um, interdimensionals are actually connected to what we see now as, as humans, or have you run into that in your, in your investigation? Absolutely. Because one of the great, uh, one of the great punchlines in the paranormal today is that it's very possible, and this is Fortean thinking also, of course, that goes back to long ago, uh, that it's very possible that pretty much all paranormal, paranormal phenomena, supernatural phenomena, could be ex- interdimensional in nature. In We're talking ghosts, spirits, uh, uh, crypto creatures, uh, and UFOs and UFOs and alien visitors. Do um, you know? I was I was just discussing with uh, someone uh, who was a uh, a Bigfoot person, and you know, and these are these are hardy people, hardy people who really have really are amazed by the enormous physicality of Bigfoot. And other crypto creatures. Uh, they've men who have been on hunts for these creatures and who have heard the uh, yelling of a Bigfoot creature and with dogs and guns have pursued this creature, which they, they say has a very unique sort of yell that doesn't sound like a grizzly bear. It's a very different register. And then they chase this creature through the forest they hear small trees snapping and they can see small trees s- snapping as this giant creature is running ahead of them through the forest dogs going crazy they would pursue this thing to a canyon where it's just a canyon which is a straight drop straight up uh, and there's no escape from the canyon and they get there and there's nothing when they saw, heard, perceived this giant creature with the very unique sort of yell that uh, was running away from them, taking huge bounds. But when they emerged into the clearing of the canyon, where there was no escape from the canyon because it's a sheer cliff straight up, and the only way the creature could have is to fly straight up into the air. It's, it's the only way the creature could have escaped, and there's nothing there. And Inter extra dimensionality would explain a lot about oh, yeah. incidents like that, and so yeah, that's what you remind me of when you when you tell me about other phenomena, paranormal phenomena that appears to be that appears to involved extra dimensional beings. Because yeah, it's possible that it's all extra dimensional. Because one of the things I say in my book that I explain and I lay down the case for is that Earth primarily is not a planet. Earth primarily is a gateway and is a planet second. Yeah. And that's why we have these things transiting constantly to here. And, but, um, but extra dimensionality is like a bad penny. Uh, it keeps coming back to ufology um, every 20 years as a, as a doctrine, as an idea. And one of the reasons is that People don't want to believe that we are alone in this universe uh, because we see the stars and we see all the galaxies in the universe. And part of 
extra dimensionality is that it's very possible that there really isn't anything out there because they're all pretty much here with us because they're here for with us all the time. And that's because they're coming through gateways. They're coming through gateways into our physical reality, but they cannot stay very long for some reason. They cannot bear our canopy of time and space for some reason. And they only for periods, short periods. And that's why we don't have open, overt presence of other alien visitor visitor civilizations that are permanently here like uh you know like an invasion of permanent force uh because they just can't they can't deal with being here for very long periods that's what it appears to me because once you study this these cases for a long time certain clues begin to come, come together and patterns of behavior come together and it just it just seems like extra-dimensionality is a is a better explanation for the behavior that we see from this sort of phenomena than other types. And I'm not the first person to come up with that. Uh, there have been great thinkers like Jack Vallée, uh, John Keel, a lot of great thinkers that have, and they call it, call these ideas by different names, uh, interdimensionality. Sometimes uh, there have been people who said ultra-terrestrials. Um, there's been lots of different names, but I think extra-dimensionality is a, is a very good description of what we're going through and what we're seeing all the time uh, with these, especially with the UFO phenomena and alien visitor phenomena. Yeah, it, it is fascinating, and uh, we've kind of moved off it for a bit, but the Area, Area 51 uh, panicky caller, do you know if the two, um, the actual panicky call and then the the alleged actor calling in were those um, the two calls ever analyzed to see if they're the same guy? I know that the voice patterns were close. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, uh, I'm sure they ha- they have been analyzed, and I know that the voice patterns were close. Now, whether that's a match or not, I don't think it was. I don't think it was a perfect match, but they were close, which makes it a question. I don't know what level of expertise you'd have to have to declare it a match or not, but I've seen the patterns on both voices and they were, they were close, but that could be, that could be because you already were picked. You could have been selected precisely uh, as the confessor. You could have been selected because you did sound similar yeah. to the original caller. You see what I'm saying? Cause oh, yeah. that's it's, what you would have done. That's if I was, if I was, um, putting a fake together that's or if i was trying to cover it up right definitely i'd go out and find somebody who can sound like the guy and yeah uh, yeah that would be the the thing to go and uh, of course we're not going to say which um show it was on art bell but um we- <laughs> yeah and, and you know and the only reason why i don't name the show yeah. and, and everybody knows who it is but yeah the only reason i don't name the show and the host uh, that it happened and is because i i know that this incident caused um, caused Art Bell or whoever the the host was caused tremendous consternation and anxiety and anguish oh, yeah. uh, to him personally. I mean, it got bigger than he could ever handle. It got it became a, a global phenomena where people from all over the world wanted to know. What was the deal with that call? Was it a fake? Was it not? You know, people demanding that they had a right to know 
what was the deal? And he wasn't giving them the, and people accusing him of uh, being in on it, of creating the whole thing, you know, so then that turns into accusations that turns into threats. So I know that this was something it's, it's a touchy subject for him and for the, and for the show. So, you know, that's why I did not actually name the uh, show. And I, and I wouldn't want to do that because especially because what happens is, that it was the content of the conversation that mattered more anyway. It was what this individual said. And the reason is, the reason also is because even if you have a ma- a perfect uh, voice spectral match on both guys and this, this guy was trying to create a fraud, there's the, uh, there's the syndrome. I believe that the syndrome of the, of the, true seance applies to this situation and you know there's this uh i would invite people to see this uh there's a movie that's out right now called uh called ouija you know like oh yeah ouija the origins of evil and what it does is this movie illustrates the uh there's this old and some people say it's urban urban uh tales but i believe it's actually i believe it's actually historical uh, story that actually happened to some famous sisters at the turn of the century who were very famous spiritualists. Uh, but it's that syndrome of the fake seance fortune tellers. And the movie uh, Ouija, The Origins of Evil, that's out right now, illustrates this perfectly. This is family that is a, a, they're a bunch of grifters who do fake seances to, uh, to comfort people who've lost a loved one. And they have everything. They have the strings. They have these... Uh, pressure tables pressurized mm-hmm. tables they have one of the daughters standing behind a curtain and it's a whole it's a big fake and but what happens is there are moments when you mess with dark powers and you do things that tempt spirits that are very powerful and very ancient mm-hmm. and something that starts out as a fraud can turn into something very very real and if you're, you know, if you're messing with the, you're messing with the Ouija board, you just never know when something that you think is turning out to be a joke, that's a joke for, for those people doing it. Uh, and then suddenly Zozo sets, Zozo shows, shows up and many of your listeners are going to know yeah. what that name represents. And that is a very ancient, very powerful, uh, I would even I would even not say spirit. I would say um, it's a demonic power is what it is, and it calls itself by the name Z O Z O, and it's and the way that you know it's one of the more powerful uh, creatures out there is that he'll give his name. He'll give his name because most of them don't like to give their name because that gives you some power over them when they give their name. So, like I said, something that starts out sometimes as being a fraud uh, can tap into something, tap into something that we can't see or touch. And it becomes a reality on a level that nobody ever dreamed of. And that's, I, I would even, and I would even argue that that's what happened with a call that shook the planet panicky area 51 caller. Even if he was started out to be a fraud he tapped into something because if you listen to that first call, you can tell there's an authenticity to it 
there's some real stuff going on with that first call. Just listen to the transcript. Listen to it beginning to end. And if you have that good intuitive sense, like I know you do, uh, you will feel something when you when you listen to that call. And uh, it's it's really impactful. I mean, it really gets you when you when you go through it from beginning to end. It's really something. When you were researching this book, John, did you um, did like? I know you have a lot of connections through um, your past your past life into people who may have access to. Um, Oh, I'm trying to be delicate, and I screw it. Uh, you may have bumped into some people who had access to classified information while sure. they were on the job. Sure. Now that they're retired, you still are are covered by um, like the Official Secrets Act. I think you have. Uh, sure. Which, yeah. So, is is there a way though to interview a guy? You know, just talk to one of your buddies over a beer and actually get some information that could be confirmed uh i want to say confirmed lawfully can you go get like a you know a I don't, library I don't, and go look for it i don't know about confirmation uh because what what someone what what a scientist considers confirmation is not going to be what an investigator considers confirmation and, and a journalist might have a completely different standard for what confirmation is you see yeah. Yeah. so in the in the in the Bible, it says that uh, something has to be confirmed by two witnesses, and then you can consider it true. So everybody has a different standard for what confirmation means. But I can tell you something uh, that even rumors can be shared, and we call that raw data also. Um, and they can be valuable too. And I, I'll give you an example. The uh, And this is – and. Some people will say this is above the level of rumor and raw data uh, because I've got I've got people who are from a different generation than I am who will swear that the meeting between Eisenhower and the uh, Greys, the uh, president and the only time that any president has been alleged to have met with alien visitors, that there was this official meeting between Eisenhower and his uh, like his great granddaughter uh, swears also that this this meeting happened. There was a moment when Eisenhower sat down and was called in to have a meeting with a group of gray, gray uh, alien visitors that sat down with him and shared something with him. And I've talked to people who swear that meeting happened. And I've talked to other people in government as well who swear, who say it just didn't happen. They, they don't believe it did. So, and there's, and, and yet, um, I think it's Laura Eisenhower. Yeah, uh, she's been on she, the show. Yeah, yeah, she swears that. She absolutely swears that that meeting happened. You know, but, um, so that's an example of, you know, things that can be, that were, highly classified at the time but i mean with the passage of time everything gets everything gets declassified and everything gets released eventually so it's just a, it's just a question of time and with that particular meeting that supposedly occurred i i don't know i have my doubts about it uh particularly because uh eisenhower gave the was the one who at the end of his term gave the uh, speech 
had a lot of anger in it uh, where he was against the industrial military complex. Yes. And he said, there's a group of men who are keeping secrets, even from your president. And it makes me very, very angry. And he says, they're going to get worse and worse, this, these guys. And you have to watch out for them. And it, it, it seemed kind of obvious to me that he was also talking about the alien, uh, alien visitor issue as well. And that just, so that kind of, that speech, which is a very famous speech. Yep. And, just makes to me it makes it less likely that he had that meeting. But another thing that made it less likely is that if they were going to send somebody to meet with Eisenhower, I don't think they would have used grays like regular grays. Uh, the grays seem like they're just like uh, ministerial sort of worker bees. I, I think that they would have. They, they would have used somebody else, I think. It just seems like that to me. At least one of the tall grays, the supervisors, who are like you know, yeah. seven feet tall or Nordics or something like that. My, that, my understanding with grays, though, but, you know, it's just like, you know, uh, like humans. You could have grays, but there's so many different, we'll call it nationalities of grays, and some don't get along with each other. Some are... Right a little bit uh, behind and they like doing things and other ones are actually pretty docile and, and bright. But, you know, I look at Eisenhower. Here's a guy who is the Supreme, Supreme Allied Commander in World War II. This guy's a, a uh, strategist. He, he's running all the Allied armies, basically. Everything, all intel, everything comes through and eventually up to him. And he's He's warning the U.S. about he basically the U.S. industrial, um, the military complex, and and how that he he was he was actually trying to disband as much as he could while he was in office. He was trying to say, okay, we only need X amount of battleships or this many soldiers, and let's just get everybody back to being peaceful. And I think he really saw. A um, an issue with the industrialization of the military complex, and to to create um, weapons and soldiers for the sake of employing people and Absolutely. continuing to pour money into it. And this guy knows about war. It like you, you look yeah. back, uh, you know, other than maybe Grant, how many other? Well, Washington, but you know, he had boats and horses. Well, sort of Grant, but the uh, (laughs) how many other presidents you had were were that in tune in the well, let's call it the twentieth century in the wars. Anyway, that you know he was way above uh, the pay uh, the pay grade of uh, a guy like Kennedy, who you know captained a a PT boat. This guy was the Allied Supreme Allied Commander in a world war. That's that looks good on your resume. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, you want to listen to a guy like that when you're when he's talking about uh, you know uh, the military complex, which of yes. course went for a poop, and we'd see what happens now. You've got to have a yeah. war; it's not worth it. So um, it, it's it is awkward. And now you talk about an alien meeting with him. Sure, at the time, uh, the guy was the supreme Allied commander. He's now the president of the most powerful country in the world. That speaks English, and um, <laughs> and a little bit, um, a little more on the sane side than some of the other countries. The Soviet Union at the time was uh, still 
a little bit cranky. And um, the Chinese hasn't hit didn't hit full stride at that point. But uh, if they did go meet with him, you'd think that they would, um, you know, try to get a bit of a tribunal going and maybe bring Britain and uh, Russia and China in on it, or uh, at least another group. But yeah, it uh, just seems that way to me. But I'll tell you the uh, the agenda that uh, Eisenhower talked about is right at this moment is blossoming and expanding into the next phase of the military industrial complex, which is glowing global and going into private industry, which is space travel, space travel, space exploration. And that's a very dangerous phase for us because like uh, Werner von Braun uh, warned us and Carol and his, um, his assistant, uh, Carolyn Rossi, uh, they warned us that um, there would be uh, this fake war on terrorism, and that that would that would uh, eventually go away. Uh, there would be this fight against the West and communism, and that would eventually go away. And that at some point, there would be a war, a, a, a war, or or getting prepared for war against alien visitors. Who are going to be considered completely physical, you know, just being like a few planets away, a couple of solar systems away, uh, who are coming here to attack us. And so we have to put all these weapons into space. And Werner von Braun warned that that would be the final great fake agenda to to defend the Earth against uh, these alien visitors who are going to be physically attacking uh, the Earth. And then once those weapons, once the Earth the Earth's upper atmosphere is covered with uh, all these sophisticated weapons that those weapons would be turned inward towards us instead of outward towards the supposed uh, alien visitors in order to exert a level of domination that no one ever really dreamed of. And I think we're, we're in that phase right now. And that's, uh, that's one of the reasons why people want to believe, want to push this, uh, the agenda of physical aliens. That's one of the reasons is to keep encouraging us to, to get this space program that could contact them at any time. And, you know, things like uh, SETI and listening for those signals. And they want to keep this whole thing of alien imminency and alien saviors. That that's a, that's also part of it. They want to keep that agenda going and if you want to know what i'm talking about i would also encourage people to see the movie passengers uh with christopher pratt and jennifer lawrence that's out right now uh and it's basically I, this movie is basically a two-hour commercial for space exploration and p- basically sending the next generation of kids out into space exploration space mining and all this, all this stuff, uh, I didn't really, I didn't really see another reason for the movie, basically, other than to be propaganda for that purpose. But if you see that movie, you see exactly what I'm talking about. This pushing this agenda for this eternal space exploration uh, program, where they just want generations of kids uh, being used for for this physical uh, space exploration, space mining, and that whole agenda, which goes hand in hand with all the other space travel agendas uh, in, in, our, in our physical universe. Yeah, it's, I'm finding, the more I talk about 
um, the interdimensional aspects of uh, alien activity. And I, I, it's funny, I, I talk mostly about this with psychics who are connecting to interdimensionals. We talked to Joanna, we asked her through her spirit guide being robbed the alien, if Sasquatch did exist, if Bigfoot exists, what would it, what is it? And the answer was, yeah, it exists. It's actually called Echo, E-K-K-O, and it comes here to breed because it doesn't have a evolutionary and environmental uh, DNA strand where it can adapt to its environment. So it's coming here it's been coming here for many many years trying to and it's interbreeding with large mammals in our in, in on this planet and then it goes back to where it's from that's why we don't find dead ones and housing and you know mailboxes and stuff for them they they're they're here for a short time and then they off they go wow and they're actually a mantis being that changes in this environment to do they're uh, mating and then they go back to wherever they're from as the mantis and hopefully get a environmental or a uh, adaptability within their DNA system. It's, it's those kind of revolutions or revel- revelations that you kind of look at thinking, okay, this is a psychic who, who, who's picking off stuff right and left. They're, you know, we did one on nine eleven. She had people come through from the uh, North Tower. Uh, a cousin of one of our callers came through, described him perfectly, passed some messages on, the whole bit. So this lady's right on. Now she's connecting through an alien, talking about, um, you know, Bigfoot, talking about um, other aliens, you know, bases on the moon, three bases on the moon. Uh, no underground bases in the U.S., uh, what reptilians really are, what uh, light beings really are. And it's just fascinating. She comes back on um, January 21st for a bunch of follow-up questions for this. It's, it is fascinating, and it's coming a lot quicker now. It's, John, if you noticed in, in your – now, you have associate, associates all over the place. You have been investing you, – you've been collecting this stuff for 20 years – uh, in your peer group, in your research um, group, ha- have you found that this information, that, yes, it's always been out there, and it may have been in a book on the back of the shelf, but is it coming to you a lot quicker now? And I'm going to leave that question with you because we are now uh, pushed up against our seven-minute stretch. So we're going to come back with more from the X-Man, author John DeSosa, and... Uh, Please go to his website and just check it out. It is the johntamabooks.com. johntamabooks.com. We'll be right back after the seven-minute stretch. Hi there, this is Dave Scott, and I would like to invite you to listen Monday through Friday right here on Spaced Out Radio. Three hours a night of the top stories with the top guests, ranging topics from UFOs to ETs, ghosts to Sasquatch, and everything in between. We are live every night, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern. So come on in and take a listen at SpacedOutRadio.com. Spaced Out Radio will take you out of this world. 
Hi there, this is your psychic medium, Joanna, and I would love it if you would join us every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. With host James Tyson, we'll bring you personal psychic messages on two mediums and a large. Questions about love, life, career changes. We would love it if you would come and join us live. Call in and listen in for the experience. Allow us to open the doors to your other side. Two mediums and a large. Heard only on Spaced Out Weekend at spacedoutradio.com. Looking for news beyond the mainstream news? Head to spacedoutradio.com and check out the SOR Spacewire. This is Spaced Out Radio's Eric Markham, news director for the SOR Spacewire. Daily, I will bring you intriguing stories and outlandish reports from what's going on around the world. UFO sightings, paranormal activity, conspiracies, alternative health, and so much more. And if you have news, email me at news at spacedoutradio.com. Attention Spaced Out Radio listeners. For only $5 a month, you can join Spaced Out Radio Space Travelers. Your membership at spacedoutradio.com will give you access to private fan area on the website, get you a monthly newsletter, draws for monthly swag, and a whole lot more. Sign up today to become a part of the Spaced Out Radio experience. Strange creatures lurking in the night, the sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy, and I would love it if you join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to Frogman and everything in between, hey, they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. Greetings and salutations, space travelers, from the Chronicles of the Unknown team. What is Chronicles of the Unknown? I keep hearing about this thing. It's a new paranormal reality TV show based right here in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. Follow our team as we uncover claims of activity on the Caribou Gold Rush Trail. You can also follow us here every third Monday where two members of our team will be available to answer your questions. We'll give you some equipment updates and some of our experiences on the road. Right here on Spaced Out Radio. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle. Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream. Stories so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering, is this real? It's as real as it gets with Pacific North Weird. You can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com. Find yourself constantly looking up in the sky, looking for answers? Have you had extraterrestrial contact? Are you an abductee? Looking for answers to your experiences? Hi there, I'm R. Keith Andrews, Spaced Out Radio's resident ET expert. 
Join me live the first Friday of every month where I take questions from the Spaced Out Radio chat room and help you understand those from the far off world. It's two hours of knowledge every experiencer should listen to. Hope to see you there. Hey everybody, this is Patrick Webster Small and I'm here to bring you the Webster Phenomena every Saturday night. Live at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern. If you're looking for aliens and extraterrestrials, well, we've got them. Big and tall, short and small. You're bound to find what you're looking for. So join me on the Webster Phenomena, right here on Space Out Radio. Hi there, this is Jolene with Revealer Reiki and Readings. And I want you to relax. Let me help you chill out and get in touch with your body, mind, and soul. In this busy world, sometimes we need to let go, and this is where I can help. Visit my website, rivuletrnr.wix.com forward slash rivuletrnr, or my Facebook page, rivuletrnr, to set up an appointment for relaxation, Reiki, or readings, no matter where you are. It's time for you to make time for you. You hear footsteps in the empty room above you. A rocking chair begins rocking by itself. Don't be afraid of the things that go bump in the night. Reach for Spirit Story Box. The iPhone app the Huffington Post UK called the only ghost hunting app you will ever need. Spirit Story Box. The spirits are telling their stories. Are you listening? Every month on Spaced Out Radio, we look into the deep and dark reports of cryptids roaming around the world with me, Rob Morphy, from Cryptopia.us. I would love it if you would join me and host Dave Scott as we delve into the most arcane stories and reports regarding creatures of the unknown. My job is to hunt down the details and bring the evidence forward to you. These aren't your regular Bigfoot stories I'm talking about either. You can find out more about crypto history at SpacedOutRadio.com. Tonight's edition of Spaced Out Weekend is brought to you by SpacedOutRadio.com, where you can now sign up to become a Space Traveler member. Now, for the final time tonight, here's Spaced Out Weekend's James Tyson. Welcome back, everybody. We are here on Spaced Out Weekend, and we are here with the X-Man himself, John D'Souza. Please go to his website, JohnTamaBooks.com, JohnTamaBooks.com. And you actually have a place on that website if you've had stories, something that you might want to pass on to him. Uh, yeah, drop in, drop by a story, read. Uh, he's got submission guidelines there. You can uh, drop off some stories to him. He is collecting information. He continues to be an investigator. Uh, long time, 20 plus years with the uh, FBI, or, well, as an attorney and an investigator. And with. Uh, with a nose for this kind of thing. I think it's the hunt. It's, it's the hunt, isn't it, John? It's that, yes. uh, I got, it's once you get into the game and I know it's a horrible thing to call it, but it's a game. It's a puzzle. Someone puts a puzzle in yes. front of you and you want to put it together. And it there's just some, something like that, that you want to, uh, put together and be it's so satisfying to finish it in, in this this type of investigation jonathan i don't know <laughs> if, if we're going to get that last piece of the puzzle on this side of the plane yeah well you know it, it is a it is a great thing to be able to investigate things from a different perspective 
that I haven't seen before in the paranormal or in ufology. Uh, because when you look at things like ufology, uh, the majority of the people examining things are former scientists, former journalists. Uh, they tend to be uh, the same the same sort of group of professions. And it's really different when you're just a pure investigator and you don't care about people, what people want to be true. And you just go in and put aside the human drama element and just look at these facts stripped down to their barest elements, but also with with a mind towards actual contacts between human elements and alien visitors and see what what do we know from the patterns and the clues that we see connected all the time and I'll, I'll, and that's what leads us to that's what leads me to some shocking conclusions that are not going to be welcome in in ufology uh, one example is I, I looked at the uh, I looked at the Travis Walton case and uh, I look at that under as a new look at the fire in the sky and Travis Walton, for you know, every uh, people tend to know, was a young man in his twenties who was working and working in a logging operation within Sitgraves, uh, Arizona, and in the forest, national forest, in there. And he's with a logging crew, a young man in his twenties, and he was working there. They were driving in a truck. Him and his group of his companions were leaving the area uh, through a clearing. And they suddenly saw a large you know, plasmic vehicle, a uh, disc-shaped uh, plasma vehicle, you know, emitting yellowish, yellowish light. And it was huge and just above the tree line, just floating up there. And Travis, being a foolish, uh, foolish young man, uh, raced out of the truck uh, against the warnings of his of his friends, his compatriots, and he rushed into a halo of light underneath this vehicle, underneath this plasmic vehicle that was floating just above the uh, tree line. And he was looking up at this thing, and suddenly a, a there was a spotlight on him for a moment, and then some kind of bolt of light just struck him and as this thing was getting ready to take off he heard the humming had increased and it seemed like this thing was getting ready to leave and it did leave and as it was leaving it struck him down and everyone all the witnesses said he looked like he was dead on the ground and his friends his well his co-workers uh, left the area and they pretty much uh, got scared they left the area. They came back shortly afterwards, and there was no body there. No body, and they didn't know what happened, of course. There's a lot of human drama that went on with them later uh, as the town turned against them, and they were accused of, of murder, and Travis was gone for, for quite a few days, and he reappeared later. But here's what happened to Travis when he was transported aboard this, this ship. He was. He appeared on this table, and he was laying there. There was some sort of instrument on his chest, and he got up very upset and angry. And there were three gray beings there who tried to restrain him. Had no ability to talk, no ability to communicate with him. Uh, they seemed pretty unprepared for dealing with him. 
Uh, he grabbed some sort of instrument, swung it at them. They were very upset. Uh, he was very scared. Uh, they ran away eventually. And later on, they were replaced by three sort of these Nordic Pleiadian beings, uh, which are basically three individuals that were large. They're, they look like very large, good-looking uh, human beings, basically, except they're they're just larger than human beings and very well proportioned, and they were three of them again, just like the Greys, and they also had no ability to communicate with Travis. They couldn't uh, talk to him, not even to say calm down, nothing, or peace, anything. They just couldn't communicate with him. They seemed kind of disorganized. One of them had a helmet on when the other two didn't, and. Eventually, they basically approached him the same way that the three greys did, and they tried to, but they were successful because they were much bigger and stronger than Travis, and they were able to force him down the table, put something over his mouth, and he went unconscious. And he was returned back to the forest where he had come from. And, you know, looking at that case and just ignoring the human drama element and just looking at the communications between the contacts between the alien visitors and travis i came to some incredible conclusions and the first conclusion uh is pretty shocking and it's one that actually travis walton himself agrees with and it was that he most likely when he had been struck from by the ship or supposed or by the field of energy around the ship when he was struck down it was an accident. In other, in other words, this was not an abduction at all. It was a rescue operation. And that he had been struck probably dead or dying when he was on the ground. And that somehow the a ship had become aware that he was, that he had been harmed. And they basically brought him onto the ship in order to revive him and to bring him back to life or bring him back to consciousness. And... That's what they did. They basically brought him on. So that's the first shocking conclusion is that the Travis Walton uh, abduction wasn't an abduction at all. It was a rescue. And they probably used their instruments to bring him back to life and make sure he was functioning. And then they returned him. Uh, the, other, the other conclusions that I have gotten from that case and others is that it's very possible that there are no alien races because one of the things I saw is that it's very likely that the three greys that initially appeared to Travis are indeed the same entities that later appeared as three very large Nordics, Nordic human-like creatures that appeared later to Travis, and they were much better able to deal with him in these guises. It's very possible that alien races are nothing more than an affectation that uh, these entities put on for us, uh, for our benefit, and for their benefit too, depending on what the situation is, whether they want to instill fear, whether they want to take care of business with a, a resistant subject, uh, whether they want to instill cooperation, cooperation. There have been times when um, when a very pleasing form has been used to induce cooperation with the subject as well. 
So I, I just, to me, I see this pattern repeating in a lot of places where it looks like it's very possible that there are no alien races because they just put on these these guises like we would put on an overcoat or change into a lighter jacket. That's one of the that's one of the amazing things. And there's a lot of people who are not going to want to hear that because they have a lot of assumptions that they have used and that they they're furiously categorizing these alien races. Um, but of course, you know if the if the form of the alien race is real to the abductee, then of course it is real also uh, to us at least temporarily. So that's that's one of the that's just one of the really amazing conclusions that I came to as far as looking at a lot of these cases and connecting a lot of the clues and the patterns that I've seen. Yeah. You know, when you talk about the Travis Walton case, um, you you look at that and, you know, I I have to look at it with that, you know, what if kind of eye. The, you're familiar with the, there was a, there's a NBC TV movie called the UFO incident about Betty and Barney Hill. Oh, yeah. That aired two weeks before Travis Walton's uh, abduction. And Travis went through a number of, obviously, some, you know, a lot of criticism. His his friends, after the five days of him going missing, were also under a lot of pressure. And, you know, you, you tell us where your buddy is, or I think you're going to get done for uh, manslaughter or murder. But uh, when Travis Walton did show up and this started, he started going off in this story, he was polygraphed a number of times. Actually, he was polygraphed uh, as, as um, I think, as, as close to us as about 2009 or 2008-ish uh, on a TV series um, about truth. And he was uh, polygraphed then again. He, he was asked if he was abducted by a UFO and he said yes, and it determined it to be um, deceitful. And that was just one of a, a number of uh, lie detector tests that uh, he didn't do well on, from using countermeasures like holding his breath to a few other things. But <laughs> the, there, there are, um, and you and I know this, and might as well tell the, the listener this too, when you do a polygraph, test on somebody most of the time you get the confession before you hook the thing up it's it's that it's it's not just hooking them up to a machine it's the whole interview program process it's yeah. walking in the door sitting down with the guy and then the pre-conversation and the conversation during the polygraph exam and the conversation after the exam that's a lot of times where you're going to get um, a disclosure is once he's not hooked up and these these type of polygraphs that they did on 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 Travis back then, I'd, I'd sure like to know whether those interviews did take place. Also, we never hear about that. We just hear about it. It um, it was deceptive, or it wasn't deceptive, or it was um, oh, what's the term in in between, John? What's <laughs> uh, undetermined. undetermined? Undetermined. Yeah, it's um, yeah. we don't know. We don't know what the interview was like. And whether or not this was a old retired guy who hadn't used a polygraph for a long time, or hadn't taken the kind of the the other courses because he retired from whatever police force thirty years earlier, but 
um, it'd be interesting to sit down and actually have a real um, a real interview with somebody like that. And get a good uh, a good statement, a pure good pure version statement from them. Um, audio, video, off you go. Make a few notes. Do it like you would anybody else, a witness, or uh, or like like you would any other witness of a of of an of something at a serious. Uh, level where you really want that information. Now, you actually do talk about Betty and Barney Hill. Uh, what did you find in there uh, when you did your examination and your investigation into their um, into their abduction? Well, again, uh, uh, people need to know that Betty and Barney Hill's uh, interviews uh, and many interviews are still available today. Uh, on public databases, uh, you can look them up, and you can see, you can see the inflection of their voices. You can see the uh, pain in their in their demeanor as they recount these stories of their of their abduction, uh, especially uh, the story after the screen memories were wiped away, the, the memories that they were able to get uh, after the hypnosis was used on them. I'm not a I'm not a big believer in uh, polygraphs. I don't really I don't really see them as reliable. Uh, and well, that's going to ruin Doctor Phil. Come on, He's, <laughs> and whoever that other one is, where yeah. that picks the baby. But uh, I know what you mean. Uh, yeah, that's well. Honestly, to the listener, that's why they're not. Um, ex- it, we don't use those in court. Exactly, they're not admissible. And not only that, uh, there's a lot of other venues where they're not you, they're not allowed to be used. And the reason for that is because they're just machines, and we are not machines. Uh, we are consciousness, we're spirit, and we have a lot more complexity than can be measured by this thing that is measuring your breath, your sweat levels, your perspiration levels, and things of that sort. Uh, we, if you want to know, if you want to know if somebody's telling uh, the truth or not, I can tell you how you do it. It's not with a polygraph. Uh, just, uh, just there's a there's a book uh, by uh, there's a famous FBI agent named Joe Navarro, and he wrote a book called What Everyone Is Saying. He was considered a global expert on body language, and. Um, and micro expressions and all manner. He is the guy, he is considered the foremost world authority on body language and body signals and facial, facial takes. And this guy, if you want to know, if you want to pick up the ability to know if someone is being deceitful or is telling the truth, then you can just, you just go and get his book. What everyone is saying uh, an FBI agent's guide to body language. It's a great book. It's a great book. And uh, Joe Navarro wrote a couple of more. I, and we studied, I studied under him at the FBI. And he is brilliant. He's it's a world expert. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think now he's, um, now he, he's written se- several more books of the same vein uh, since then. But human beings, if they develop this ability, have a greater a greater chance of knowing when someone is not is lying or telling the truth, because there are 
there can be 50, 60, 70 signals that are all involved. It's a very complex process, but a human being can do it. A polygraph cannot. And you can cross-reference several, 30 to 40 different clues and then match them up and you can tell if a person is lying or is telling the truth. Uh, at least your chances are far greater than uh, using a machine. And that's yeah. what I that's what I recommend for people who want to know if someone's telling the truth or not. It's much more it's much more reliable. That's how I see it. Yeah, I had one of his books uh, louder than words which is ah. uh, Yeah, it was a good yes. one. And we also had one oh, who's a guy? We had a um, Mossad agent who was one of the guys out looking for um, the Nazis back in the day. And uh, one of the things I learned from him was amazing. It was um, where you look with your eyes when you're pulling from memory or or yeah. the um, uh, manufacturing yeah. side of your brain. Most of us, right. most of us, our left side of our brain is where we um, create, it's our creative side. So when we look up to the left, we're, pulling information out that we're making up at the time and we pull up pull down from the right our file cabinets which is history it's stuff we've got stored and lies are manufactured so you can once you get the statement you can go back over and pick on a few points and ask them to uh kind of go over those and and uh you'll you'll see where they're deceitful it's just because someone's deceitful during an interview doesn't mean they committed the offense you're looking for because right. everyone's got stuff they want to hide. But, right. um, you know, it's just one of the, the little, like you say, the pieces of the toolbox. Right. In if, in your investigation, I have you run into, um, oh, we're, we're going to call them, it's it's that Stephen Don Hess, the Hess family. Uh, now, a buddy of mine, Ron Felber, wrote a book called The Mojave Incident. And this is a couple that were uh, taken out of the Mojave Desert. And afterwards, um, you know, they, they went through their abduction, alien abduction, at a university and went under hypnosis. Both of them related uh, under hypnosis to this, seeing the exact same thing uh, during the exact same time. And if yeah. it's one of those ones, if people think you're making something up, well, two people can't see this, I don't care if you're on acid. Two people don't see the <laughs> the, the pink dragon exactly the same. Right. Stephen Don Hess reported everything identical, just from different a, a different point of view. That's an amazing story, and that's those are the types of um, you know UFO investigations. I can't I like digging in because you've got people who. I've actually been brought to a university. The university professors take them through a number of different tests, whether it's a, um, you know, they're monitoring their heart rate and everything, and they do a, a hypnosis and they kind of a hypnotic regression and audio and videotape the whole thing. That's what wow. I like to see more of when people finally do come forward. And I know it's a lot to, uh, not a lot to ask, but gosh darn it, it's a, uh, it is the way to do it. If, um, you know, getting that pure version, uh, even though it's through hypnosis, but holy cow, yeah. that's, you know, I, yeah. I'm a, a believer in hypnosis in yeah. unlocking a few uh, so special back doors. 
You know, so am I. You got to get rid of those screen memories. Because what we find is, starting with uh, Betty and Barney Hill, we find that uh, these alien visitors, if that's what they are, they seem to, a standard operating procedure, just lay down these screen memories of human military operations and whatever human actors uh, being involved with the uh, abduction uh, or something of that sort, something to cover up what really happened. And the removal of these screen memories has got to one way through hypnosis. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it happens just through the expense, the extent of time, just time. And these uh, the true memories tend to break through sometimes in dreams, sometimes through visions, and eventually the real the real memories tend to rise to the tops. Uh, to the top, and so we've got to we've got to learn to deal with this uh, these screen memories, getting rid of them, putting them aside, and getting people in their minds to what really happened. And it's very important to get that done. What are the other little more fascinating parts you got? I know this entire thing is is interesting. Now, you as an investigator, you as somebody compiling all this information, you go through a number of his, of of the older historic which I guess things that are historic are, are older, but the historic um, abductions that are well-documented. Are we seeing any of the abductions in the last 10 to 15 years as well-documented as those first few back in the 60s and 70s? Yeah, I think that we are. I think we're seeing a lot of um, a lot of things documented to a higher extent but there's so many of them now that that there's it's not like uh like in uh, the during the 50s and the 60s uh you had like one giant case that would be recorded in each country uh like for instance uh, uh in the in the, about 1960 in brazil when you had uh, antonio vijas boas who was abducted in Brazil. Everyone thought he was just some peasant uh, farmhand working out in the fields. And he ended up having a plasma ship appear in front of him. And the people, the alien visitors aboard this ship just brought him on. And on the ship was awaiting him a, a very attractive young woman who was naked and who appeared not to be fully human. She had larger eyes than normal, uh, and she was completely hairless, like on her head. I mean, she was just, did not appear fully human, but she was womanly and very attractive, encouraged him to have sex with her, and which they did a couple of times. And he then, she then, uh, pointed to her belly indicated to him that she had he had made her pregnant and that was the purpose of him being there they were basically they were basically harvesting him to get his material for you know purposes of creating a hybrid then he was released he was you know thanked for his services he he was given a tour of the ship first and then he was basically released he was given a, a tour of the ship and left and left back where he was and his authenticity oh and this young man turned out he was a brilliant young man uh and he went on to become a very prominent attorney in brazil and was very successful 
throughout his life. And until his dying day, he maintained against great cultural pressure from scientific community, debunkers, the usual lot. Uh, he maintained the absolute truth of every every detail of his story until the day he died. Um, so that very often is a very is a very strong indicator of authenticity because especially when you're going against cultural pressure to hold on to the truth the same way Betty and Barney Hill did also that's that's also a great indicator of cultural pressure and i think because these cases are becoming more more they're happening more often and we're seeing more of them it's really getting to the point where you can't really look at all of them uh you know mufon the national office of mufon gets 3000 3000 ufo cases reported to them from all over the world every month that's 3000 every month at least um that's a that's a tremendous number even once you eliminate the uh the uh, 95% that turn out either not credible or insufficient data that still leaves 5% of those cases uh, that are that should be further investigated and really drilled down on and that have and that are unexplainable you know the uh, great rocket scientist uh, Stanton Friedman uh, he said he said uh, yes 95% of UFO cases are not credible or are basically fraud. Uh, he said, so what? What do I care? That has nothing to do with me. All I care about is the 5% that are actually unexplainable or supernatural in some way. That's all that matters. And that's that's all that matters to us today. So that's why these cases, they are increasing in number. And we need to understand that we're we're approaching some kind of crescendo, some kind of climax with these cases of contact and also of just UFOs uh, in, in the observance of people on an everyday basis. So it's it's a phenomenon that's real. It's increasing, and it's it's just it's just uh, getting to be something that we just don't have enough resources to deal with on a regular basis it you know it, we've got uh, the uh, elizabeth Anglin who is on the first hour of this show um she's an abductee and i'll tell you if you tell her if you argue that that didn't happen she'll rip you a new one there's yeah. uh you know these people are very very um you you can't take this out of their mind that's why i think a lot of them will just button up and say well this didn't happen i think as we're opening as we're opening more to the whole paranormal thing yeah i see ghosts they're becoming more and more people coming forward saying yeah i've seen a ghost i think too more and more people are going to become coming forward saying yeah i saw a ufo i had contact with somebody who came from a ufo in fact i've been inside of one i it, it to get a guy like the Brazil, the, the fellow in Brazil who, um, you know, had a had a tryst. I still don't understand. Yeah, give me a tour of the spaceship, but can I look in the fridge before I go? Because that's <laughs> just a guy thing. You you got to raid the fridge. But the um, 
you know, those type of things you're not hearing a lot about. Uh, I've, I have interviewed a few people who, who say not only they've been on a spaceship, but they've, uh, before going on or after coming off the spaceship, they become pregnant with twins. Their first, uh, ultrasound shows the two kids, um, when they, they've gone back to a spaceship or they lost that 10 hours of time, not knowing where they've been, but they're, you know, feel a bit dizzy. They go have an ultrasound. Now there's only one child. What's what's going on and there those are documented ultrasound one has two children ultrasound two has one so where to go and wow. there's no scars there's nothing and yeah, that's amazing. the lady with the ultrasounds going oh i must have made a mistake the first time or maybe we gave, gave you the wrong one or, or how did that work but i've i have talked to a number of people who have been in those situations uh christina george one of our paranormal investigators in sacramento similar similar thing happened to her it's it's amazing and it's not just it's not just joe sixpack walking down the road it is people who are, are a little bit kind of famous who've had these interactions we've got john lennon soaring up and down he had a, a ufo pull out uh, pull up beside his apartment in new york um, we've had musicians claiming that the the music that they're writing were downloaded from um, extraterrestrials. It's it's now a little more social uh, socially correct to to come out and say that you've had contact. And somebody like you does it, you gathers this information. My gosh, you must be overwhelmed. Oh yeah, it's amazing. But um, I'm so. That's so interesting that you have abductees on because I'll tell you, I've been looking at so many of these abduction cases and there's certain things that just jump out at me, um, not just with the classic cases that set up the pattern, but with all the ones that are happening. And here is one of the shocking conclusions in my book that I make a case for and it is that alien abductions to a large extent, well, almost the entire extent, are basically a fraud. And what I mean by that is that they it looks to me like they are 95% theater, unnecessary theater. And I'll tell you exactly what I mean. There's uh, about uh, eight or nine steps that we see, classic steps uh, to most alien human abductions and the first step is the uh, stalking it's the stalking thing people will observe some sort of vehicle some sort of plasma vehicle and it will like betty and barney hill they had this, this sort of glowing uh, yellowish plasma that was that was stalking their car and going after their car and chasing them uh then there's the uh there's the use, uh, and then there's the pursuit. There's the pursuit, of course. Uh, and then there's the execution of the plan to acquire the human from sometimes from their vehicle, from their home, from wherever they are. They, there's the acquisition. Then there's the exertion of the command and control over the humans, exertion of absolute control of that human being. Uh, then there's the induction of terror. There's the induction period. Uh, they induct terror or or cooperation, 
whatever emotion they they need to they need to induce into that person there's the stoppage of clocks watches timepieces almost as if time itself were being paused uh, then there's a use of medical some sort of medical facility or some kind of tables and exam material uh, using technology that's beyond human uh, there's total lack of empathy for the person's pain very often there's usually some limited uh, telepathic communication with the subject you know calm down uh, we're here and we're just here for peaceful reasons some sort of communication then there's the final step which is the collection of various samples human tissue blood sperm ova or, or whatever variety sperm whatever variety of of human material they need now Here's why I came to the conclusion that this is a fraud, because the only step in there that I have seen that is absolutely necessary is the final one, the collection of human materials. It seems to me that all the other stuff, with their level of technology that they have, all the other stuff is basically superfluous. It's not needed. They don't need to go through all these other steps. Uh, they could just basically just show up, get the human, and get the human material, and they're done. And they could do this on a large scale if they wanted to. Uh, they don't need to go through all these other steps. Uh, so why do they? I believe the reason they do it is for theater, for effect. And because they're building a narrative, some kind of a narrative that they want to leave imprinted on humankind so that they can use it in the future for some kind of climax that they want to, that they want to draw on this narrative and they want to use it in the future. Because if you think about it, the level of technology that they're at, why would they need to chase people in these uh, in these plasma ships, why would they need to go through all these complicated steps when they really don't need to? They could just show up and just collect that material. They could show up at a hospital and do it on a very large scale uh, at a prison where people are being or anywhere that people are being held in close quarters in large numbers, and they could collect as much material as they wanted and disappear and no one would be would be any the wiser but the reason they don't do that and the reason they always go through these steps the stalking the execution of command and control the the uh acquiring the subject the stoppage of clocks and time uh, the use of certain types of facilities the telepathic communication uh, the messages uh, the reason they go through all these is because they want to use these steps in the future because they're building some sort of narrative. They're building something that's going to be used in this theater later on. And I don't quite have exactly what it is that they're going to be doing, but it will involve their arrival at some point. And they will go reach back and use these patterns of these steps that they've used towards saying, look, this is why we did the, all of this. 
we did all this for you. Wow. I'm, and this is where I, I get into that interesting dilemma, which causes us to have a show now called a shift starting tomorrow. We've, we've got psychic communication with alien. Uh, okay. We've got psychic communication with a being who is telling us it's a ET or an alien. It is now allowing us to have communication with it based on what you and I are talking about. Alien abduction, um, where, where, how many, and why. What is the purpose? What is going to happen? And you get into, uh, oh, there's, oh, I'm trying to remember her name now. There's, um, the shift, the shift has been, you know, alleged have been coming for for a long time, and and I think there's uh, people who who swear up and down it, it's always going to happen, but uh, it's it's one of those things where you know once you've once you've said uh, you called wolf and <laughs> nothing happened, there's uh, eventually people are going to stop listening to you. But uh, oh, Nancy uh, Nancy Leader, uh, which is a lady, I'm. Uh, reached out to to come on too. She talked about the Earth changes and the pole shift, the actual magnetic internal pole shifting. And you and I talked about this a little yeah. bit off air, but could that be it? But but we've also talked about heck, you know, how many times we heard the Earth Earth is going to come to an end. Yeah, um, where was she during uh, 2012? That's uh, we gotta we gotta look at that. What was happening when the the uh, everything was going to end in 2012 during that? During oh yeah, the Mayan calendar. Yeah, and it was uh, you know is this when it's going to happen? But who knows? It's it comes down to that uh, what if the what if planet X X that's on this huge oblong kind of it was called planet nine at one time it was kind of determined to be the ninth planet but it only kind of zipped through the uh zipped through our area every ten thousand years if it shows up i know astronomers astronomers and linguists uh, astronomers are saying no no that's full of crap that it, it's not going to be coming back don't or there maybe it never did come in the first place but uh, you know, if you're an astronomer, are are you going to say, "Oh, yeah, it's going to come back and it's going to miss us by 30 miles, uh, spitting us off into space"? But everything's okay. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, what are you supposed to say to the masses? Um, but these are the kind of things that you you kind of wonder: is is something going to be coming to the point where we're going to need to repopulate certain areas? Are we going to have the parts, quote unquote, to repopulate? Um, what is it, what is the next, what is the next evolution of humanity? Are we going to be losing a bunch of us? Therefore, we're going to have to, uh, repopulate. And is this time we're really going to be mixed up with the ETs? Who knows? Yeah, that's what, uh, people are hoping for. That's why that, uh, doctrine of, uh, alien, uh, alien fathers, it becomes the alien saviors, and then it becomes alien imminency, you know, because mm -hmm. people are just hoping for for the aliens to uh, save us, to uh, be uh, anything that we can, uh, anything that we can't handle, uh, that they're going to help us out. So I don't think that's 
good place for people to put their hope, though. I don't think that's uh, because uh, it's I don't think that's going to give a good result. And, um, you know, that was um, one of the things that I I urge people to do all the time is to look on um, look on the uh, FBI vault on the FBI vault for this uh, this document called a memorandum of importance where supposedly there was an FBI agent who had who actually had just like uh, just like you have on your your new show had an alien visitor as an informant who was giving him <laughs> this this is the single most downloaded document in the FBI vault it's uh, FBI fbi.gov.vault and it is all the all the documents that have been declassified after 40 years or so and that are available are available under freedom of information and they've got the kennedy assassination on there they've got all kinds of things that have happened in the past uh it's and they also have ufos ufo investigations and cattle mutilations on there but this one document is called a memorandum of importance. It's also called the Flying Roll. Uh, it was from San Diego, California. Uh, it's dated July eighth, nineteen forty-seven, and it is an FBI agent writing to Hoover, uh, saying that. And it happened the same. It happened just before Roswell in nineteen forty-seven, I believe. Let me see. Yes, I believe it was nineteen. Yeah, July eighth, nineteen forty-seven. It's dated, and. This person wrote out who alien visitors also are, uh, who they really are. And this, he said that they are, he said that as far as the saucers go, he says there's nobody inside those saucers. He says they're basically moving under what we understand as remote control. He said that their mission is peaceful, uh, but they are thinking about settling on this, on this planet. Uh, he says the visitors are sometimes human-like, but they're much larger. He also said they are not from our physical reality. He said they are from other dimensions of time and space, what we call, what, what a Vedic term called lokas or talas. They are from other, other dimensions of reality, and they come into our physical reality for short periods, and they have to go back. Uh, he said um, they the discs are made out made out of a type of radiant energy, what I would call what I would call plasma. It seems to be what he's describing. Uh, he says that uh, their power is so much that uh, we should not ever attack them with our with our jets. Uh, they'll be they will be destroyed. And like I said, he said that uh, they are coming here from other dimensions of reality and that's where they go back to and so this uh document is the single it's downloaded in the millions more than uh documents on the jfk assassination uh, it's the single most downloaded document and now it's not easy to find i don't know how the type because it's not the it's it's you know i have it on my facebook if you okay. want to see if you want to see grab the link uh, you could just go to my Facebook and you scroll down about 12, 12 documents and you'll see it. Uh, it's it's also referred to as the FBI admits visits of beings from other dimensions. Uh, it's it's under that title as well. It's under uh, FBI declassified 
document, uh, other dimensions. Um, it's it's a little bit. They made it a little hard to find. They didn't make it under a single. But if you can, but if you grab my link there, James, you'll yep. be able to uh, put it, put it, and you'll be able to get the document itself. Uh, but it's it's amazing. It's an amazing document, especially because it happened. Ju- this a document was put out, uh, basically revealing all these truths about alien visitors, and it, right after this document was put out. Uh, was that uh, Roswell was revealed to have happened. And Roswell was an operation that I believe was created to to cancel out this document, to cancel out what was revealed uh, in this document, which I call the smoking gun document. And it was because Roswell was put forward to make us believe that aliens are just physical, just like us, there's just a bunch of bodies in a crash ship, and you know those are the bodies that we pulled out of there. And yeah, they're just physical beings, just like anybody else. So basically, Roswell was, in my my conclusion, is that Roswell was a double trick. It was with a cover up that was designed to fail eventually, with time, and that it was basically put together. Uh, to make us believe that aliens are just physical. And what this document reveals is that that is the furthest from the truth. They are not physical. They are extra dimensional in nature. That's what I see here. That's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And, and if you guys want to go to uh, John's uh, Facebook page, actually some good reading on there. You've got good links. It's just John D'Souza, D E S. O-U-Z-A, and uh, wonderful. Hey, one of the things I noticed on your website, I'm just going to change gears real quick here. You've got a picture of uh, FBI. Hitler didn't die. He fled to Argentina. Oh, yeah. That's a real FBI report based on reliable information. (laughs) What? What? Remember I was talking about uh, Joanna and uh, some of the things we asked? I said, did uh, Hitler die in commit suicide in germany and she said yeah he committed suicide but it was in argentina wow it was years later we also got that, into uh maria fit in, fit in uh, with this report what's her name the maria who was part of the oh. um the german back in the 1930s in regards to the vril institute and the flying discs that the nazis had and yes. found that uh all the information was been destroyed by the U.S. and Maria actually came and was a spy for the United States and was killed in in uh, Croatia and is or sorry Yugoslavia, and she's uh, never been found. She was disposed of in a river there, oh. a violent death. But uh, yeah, a lot of very very interesting. But this again, see on the FBI website reveals that U.S. government knew Hitler was alive. <laughs> Uh, and he went to Afghanistan, and that is on John's Facebook page. I got to tell you, Argentina. this is amazing. Some of the stuff you've been sticking your nose into. I, <laughs> I, you got two locks on your door, or just one. And uh, now I've got a, I've got like seven or eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, and I, I thanks for pointing out the uh, FBI vault, um, FBI.gov oh. vault. Yeah. What a yeah. 
and if you go down on the right hand side there, the vault links, and go to unexplained phenomena, that is yeah, uh, some it. very interesting stuff. Um, it's Project amazing Blue Book, stuff. Um, yes. Extrasensory perceptions. Um, Roswell cattle cattle, cattle mutilations. mutilations yeah. uh, Guy Hoddle, uh, Salias uh, yeah. M. Newton, um, yeah. who was an old old feller. Uh, yeah, yeah, some really interesting stuff here. Yes. Very, very interesting. I, I'd skip the gangs and terrorism. Go right yes. to, for me personally, Unexplained Phenomena and World yes. War II. Those are the exactly. two that I'm going to stick at. <laughs> From Adolf Hitler to Tokyo Rose. Uh, fascinating. And thanks very much, John. Again, if anyone wants to uh, grab one of his books, please do. And it, this, these are just two of a long line of books that are in the works. Um, now, you've got uh, a number of on the back burner, your next one is, is it Christ-based uh, transcendencies? Or tra- It'll be um, the Clear Hearers. Oh, the Clear, clear Hearers. Hearers. Okay. Yes. What's that yes, about? It, that's uh, true tales and concepts of hearers, people who hear the great voice. And that has, has to do with uh, people who hear, hear a, a voice of guidance and love, and uh, it's a, it's it's a pretty it's clear audience, clear audience, clear audience. Yeah, yes, that's what it's all about. That's that is stuff. just absolutely fascinating. fascinating. I'm going to uh, just refer everybody. Please go to uh, John's website, JohnTamaBooks.com. Uh, take a stroll through this website, see what he's got on the back burner, see what's coming up. And see what he's got out right now. The Extra Dimensionals. It's, you can find that on Amazon. It's all over the place. It's uh, be a wonderful, wonderful read. And again, John D'Souza, thank you very much for dropping in. Thanks so much, James. Great to, great to be with you today. I really enjoyed it. And it's always, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. And for my listeners out there, please, you know, keep an open mind. Let's roll. And hey, 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 hey! Let's be careful out there. Far over the snow, what are those voices? They sing and they go, what are those voices? Look up to the Get the man that I know. Run through the hail.
edition July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. Army officers say the missile found sometime last week has been inspected at Roswell, New Mexico and sent to Wright Field, Ohio for further inspection. Greetings. This is Science Officer Spock and currently there are no life forms available to take your call. But at the prearranged audio signal, please feel free to leave any verbal communication you feel is necessary. Live long and prosper. Hello, Spock. 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 H